ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello everyone, and we are back with another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. As ever, I'm here with uh, Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing pretty good, Parv. It's uh, been a long time, but that's kind of part of the course for our... Uh, episodes lately. I guess this is sort of like a pseudo three-year anniversary show for us. Really? Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary, Chad. <laughs> um, new, new, new house. Um, I'm in a new house now. So, again, kind of the, the evolution of this show has went through a lot of stages in my life. And yeah. There's another one. Well, this was probably our biggest gap ever. Um, yeah, number of yeah. things. Yeah, I've, I've been. I've also been very uh, busy um, writing. Uh, writing. Uh, I mean, in fact, I've written. T- I have two books under contract, and I sign them both at the same time. Which is, uh, for any aspiring academics out there, a really bad idea. Um, so I have literally, Chad, been working ten to fifteen hours every day, trying to get this book written by February. I know it sounds like a long way off, but. In all seriousness, it's very difficult, very hard work. So, um, yes. So a combination of that and uh, going to the gym a lot has severely affected my uh, ability to stay up late, Chad. Which, as you know, is one of my one of my hallmarks, one of my traits. <laughs> um, and uh, so this is quite weird um, because we always record this show at, you know, what is 12 in the afternoon for me. Right. Um, and it's right in the middle of the night, so this is a bit of a change of pace for uh, for us. Feels like a Titans recording. <laughs> I was going to say it's kind of Titan style for you. Yeah. Um, anything else to mention before we uh, get into this? Obviously, we have got up to um, Super Brawl. No, I keep on forgetting. What's the show? Uh, Wrestle War. Wrestle War ninety two. <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, and uh, there is an awful lot of Meltzer because for some reason they didn't want to clash in between Super Brawl and Wrestle War. So we have this massive gap of uh, three months worth of Meltzers to get through tonight. Yeah, um, this is probably the longest gap I think we'll have uh, in between two Super Shows from here on out. I can't think of a longer da- gap uh, chronologically between two shows. Yeah, well, it's symbolic, I guess. The longest gap that we've ever had between two shows. And yeah. the longest gap between two shows with WCW. We, we planned it that way. Yeah. Um, I, the, the one thing I will say is uh, you're still able to... The donations are up. And we have hit our target, Chad, which I'm very pleased about. Um so we're we're good. We're good to go for another year on the SoundCloud. But if anybody wants to keep on donations coming, I'll just put it in the kitty for next year, basically. So we're very grateful to the people who uh, to contributed. I was actually astounded that anybody did. So 
thank you. You know who you are. Yeah, let um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a minute with that part. Um, so like we we did this out, and it was just a thread to uh, on PWO, and I think a couple of Twitter posts, but not nothing. You know, we didn't bombard every day and try to really promote and push it out. And we're not saying that uh, that. You know, if you don't donate, we never said if you didn't donate, we wouldn't do the shows or, you know, it cost us $2,000 or whatever to produce this show. But it does cost money. I mean, there's 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 fees involved with hosting this and uh, not only this, but also on the back end with placetobenation.com. There's a, 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 I wouldn't say a significant amount of fees, but when you're budgeting, and doing your budget monthly, that is some of your quote-unquote kind of entertainment funds. And that's a choice that we all make. But, um, yeah, anybody that was willing to help us out, it's greatly appreciated. And I certainly stand by the content that we provide on this feed. I mean, me and you, Parv, have been sporadic uh which is an understatement, but in the meantime, you have uh, at least a Chris Delner between the sheets every week. You have a lot of Exile on Bad Streets. You have a This Week in Wrestling, which is a new show that comes out every week, which gives you a three-hour overview of the modern product. You still have uh, Pro Wrestling Super Shows, Titans mixed in, Tag Team's back again. We got Goodwill Wrestling, which is doing five shows just this week during SummerSlam. So we provide, I think, a bevy of content, and I listen to every show. So I'm, I, uh, that's kind of a appointment that when we started the website, I was going to listen to every show that's on our feed and also the PT. B feed, which has more sports stuff, but we're strictly wrestling on the PWO PTBN, and I'd put our wrestling podcast and plethora of shows up against anything on the internet, and that's including the Observer and including the Torch, and that's something people pay, you know, ten ninety nine, seven ninety nine a month for, uh, for mainly that audio content. Well, even to all that, Chad, um, I will say the Between the Sheet show. Um, for the periods where they're looking at the same uh, periods that we've done shows, Chad, I think it's a very good companion piece retroactively with uh, some of our old shows. Right. Just, yeah, some decent uh, synergy there, even if they don't always have the same opinions as us, like, uh, you know, liking Dan Spivey. Dan like Spivey, that. yeah, there's some, uh, <laughs> there's some in this, this show that they just dropped in 92 that I know I'm kind of differing on, but uh, but it's it's an interesting historical perspective. And as you know, Parv, I've done the uh, yearbooks, most of them now, and still yeah. in the process, so those are really an integral kind of companion piece to listen and bring up a lot of good memories of me going through the yearbooks and watching some of the footage they've been talking about. Absolutely, okay. Well, that's all the the pre-show stuff. Let's get into the Meltzers, because, like I said, there are absolutely loads of them. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. So we're going to start with March the 9th, uh, 1992. And um, this is something I just didn't know anything about, Chad. Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin resigned amidst the scandal. Did you know anything about this? Um, basically, 
Patterson, who's considered one of the uh, six or seven most influential men in pro wrestling, along with Garvin, uh, was accused of sexual misconduct by two former ring attendants, um, an ex-front office employee, uh, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is a WF story, but I just thought I'd pull it up because... Um, I didn't know about her. I'd never heard about Pat Patterson being um, accused of sexual misconduct. Yeah, so um, this is this is kind of the the Murray Hodgson situation. Right. And have you ever watched? You have. I, I take it you have not watched the appearance of Vince and Murray on Donahue. No, I've never seen that. You need to seek that out on YouTube. It is a really fascinating thing. Um, let me. I'll look and see if it's there. But it, it essentially what happens is Murray's on there and tells his side of the story. Then Vince comes out to some booze, you know, the crowd and everything, yeah. and uh, essentially says that you know everything Murray is saying is ridiculous and that he was fired because he sucked at his job and <laughs> all this. It's, it's a great. Uh, the guy say McMahon denies all charges and called uh, Murray Hodgkins a certifiable lunatic. Oh, yeah, so the- yeah, so 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 it is on there. I just I just got it. The whole Donahue show. It's uh, you can just put in Donahue and WWF, and it it should come up. And it that's just a fascinating kind of forty four minutes with Vince at a round table with some uh, former people. Uh, our good friend superstar Billy Graham makes an appearance. Uh, Bruno cuts a big promo. Big Dave is on there. Meltzer's actually on the show. I have to um, watch that. He's sitting right next to uh, to Vince. That I just just pulled it up in the clip, and I'd forgotten about this. I mean, you got Meltzer sitting right next to Vince and talking directly to him. Wow. So it's 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 a fascinating uh, watch. Amazing, amazing! I'm gonna have to give that one a uh, a look, Chad. I'm almost um, positive this is the one with Bruno, but I, n- I know there's one with Bruno on the talk show where he really goes to task with Vince and sounds very bitter and kind of has the David, uh, you know, the David Sammartino stuff. And somebody brings up his son, and Bruno kind of shrugs that off and says that the person in the crowd is ridiculous for even bringing that up and all that. It's 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 a wild scene. Well, wow, well, I I will definitely give that a watch. And uh, speaking of weird Vince moments, did you watch that thing of Vince giving himself that award in 1985? (laughs) That is the biggest trophy I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he gives that little look, he he rolls his eyes as if to say, oh, you guys, like as if he hadn't orchestrated all of it. (laughs) <laughs> well, there's also uh, there's another funny Vince thing in the '93 yearbook. There's this like uh, Tux banquet where Vince wins this humanitarian award, and that's fascinating to watch too. Where he, you know, almost cracks up at receiving this honor and looks, you know, almost brought to tears. Uh, so <laughs> it's pretty pretty funny. Wow. Okay, well, back over in WCW uh, land, Johnny B. Bad is in the midst of a contract dispute with management. Um, several dif- different versions have come out, but apparently Bad and Kip Frey uh, agreed a contract for $156,000 a year, but it wasn't signed. Bad has claimed that he wanted better injury benefits, um, 
while others say that he asked for more money. Bad has negotiated with Titan. Bad did have a meeting on Monday with uh, Frey to work things out, but he pulled from the pay-per-view show because of the dispute. So clearly they worked that out, but um, it's interesting that any WCW star who gets even like remotely big, and Bad is basically a mid-carder at this point, but he's getting good crowd reactions, Chad, as we've seen, um, usually finds a way to have a dispute with management and negotiate with Titan. Right, one of, one of those ongoing things that we've seen time and time again, and that's that's somebody really leveraging themselves. I mean, Johnny B. Bad, as we've talked about, was very green when he came in. He's only been around around uh, about a year now, um, or maybe not even a year all the way. And so, for him to already kind of be in the mix of uh, some heated contract negotiations, that doesn't bode well for WCW management. Um, so. Uh, the Macon crowd in Georgia um, on February the 25th drew 2,000. Um, so there we go. I think that's quite a decent gate for them at this time. It's better than the ones we were seeing in 91 and 90, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit of an uptick. Um, you know, that's a secondary market, Macon. Um, so probably the best you could hope for would be about maybe 8,000. Eight to ten thousand would be absolute capacity, so yeah. it's still not great, but you know, not uh, eight hundred to a thousand we have seen in ninety one. Yeah. Well, didn't they do like eight hundred in Atlanta or something stupid once? Yeah. Well, there's that atrocious Omni show that they had. Um, I can't remember how bad it was, but the one with like El Gigante in the main event. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, World Championship Wrestling drew a 2.7, Main Event did a 2.6, and Power Hour did a 1.9. They're, all, they're, they're, they're not bad ratings at all. Um, Jesse Ventura's first Worldwide Wrestling will be taped uh, on March the 20th in Topeka. So there we go. M- March 16th, uh, bad news for WCW is that barring uh, an unforeseen rabbit pulled out of a hat, the last card at the Meadowlands will be... Uh, on March the 31st. Because of poor attendance, the arena decided to go with the WWF. WF pulled out of the building after the uh, building book dates with WCW. The strategy in this case uh, generally is that they pull the power play of only booking one promotion or the WWF pulls out. And then and then pull out because in the long run uh, they'll come back to WCW because uh, uh, WCW won't be able to draw as well in the building and it's worked almost every time. So you can see Vince up to his old tricks, that he, even here in 1992, in the middle of all the steroids and the, you know, Pats and Deal and appearing on TV and all this, he's still up to his old tricks behind the scenes here. So Yeah, I just did a quick search of Graham's site, and the March 31st is the last show in the Meadowlands for the year. Um, so I don't know when they returned, but they didn't have any other shows in 93, or in 92 there, or 93. So, yep put the kibosh on that for a while yeah but th- I mean to be fair uh, Meadowland is such a WF kind of like I see it as a core WF oh yeah arena, it, it, know, so. it, it feels like a WWF I mean it's like when WWF kind of comparatively would run Atlanta how it it, it sort of feels like a little bit of a, a, a weird situation like in 99 when they did that first Raw at the Georgia Dome yeah. uh, it still felt a little odd 
Um, coming on the heels of a surprisingly weak showing on pay-per-view of, uh, for Super Brawl 2, uh, WCW sources are claiming a 0.8 buy rate, well, uh, there's a saying 0.6 or 0.7, which is about a 2.4 uh, to a 3.2 million gross. Not bad, still, I think, but apparently that's disappointing. Um, they came the figures that showed last weekend was the weakest as far as television, uh, television viewership in many months. The heavily pushed WCW show with Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura pushing the pay-per-view and airing the tag team title change with Terence Taylor and Greg Valentine beating Ron Simmons and Big Josh. Josh drew a 2.0 rating, the lowest in months. The main event show after the pay-per-view, which traditionally does a 3, uh, did just a 2.3, while a Power Hour on Friday night in a different time slot did a miserable 0.9. WF didn't fare much better with All-American doing one of its lowest ratings of all times, uh, a 1.8, while Prime Time did a 2.4. So uh, all our talk about Jesse Ventura, is he worth it? Well, I think there's your answer, right? Right, sure. <laughs> um yeah, and I, I guess uh, this is like these sorts of things may be some of the reasons why the writing may have been on the wall for Kip Frey even as early as this, <laughs> as we're about to see. Uh, and Nikita Koloff uh, worked at a face at a recent show. Kevin Sullivan uh, was at the television, and he's going to feud with Cactus Jack at some point, or team with him. Did that happen? Sullivan, Cactus Jack? Um, well, I mean, later, but, uh, let me see when Kevin Sullivan... Honestly, Cactus Jack was married to Sting for a while, wasn't he? Well, and the thing was, he was all over. He was kind of doing that pseudo stuff with, um, Simmons, mostly Simmons, until Simmons got jump-started, or Sting, too, but Sting was very focused with the Dangerous Alliance by that time. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan, I'm not showing any results on Graham, so I guess he never came in in 92. Right. I didn't remember him. But no, I you, didn't either. I, I, I mean, I, I remember, like, it's mainly come to Cactus Jack and the Barbarian and in the fall, though, but uh, I don't know. I wonder, wonder what Kevin Sullivan was doing at this point in his career. Because he, he never worked for WF, did he? No, and I think, I mean, I think he was on them kind of uh, TWA indie shows in Philly. Right. Around this point, that would do like Bob Backlund versus Jerry Lawler versus Dick Murdoch. Um, kind of those types of shows that Joe, I think they're Joe Goodhart um, promoted. Somebody yeah. correct me. But yeah, I, I know he was on a few of those. Jesse, Jesse Ventura will be featured on the George Michael Sports Machine. Ever watched that show, Chad? No, never heard of that one. It's no uh, inside stuff with Ahmad Rashad, I can <laughs> tell you that. Johnny B. Bad has signed his contract for 156000 Um I, I think Johnny B. Bad is doing very well there. Yeah. Um, Missy Hyatt hasn't signed yet, but apparently is going too soon. Um... Uh, the Bull Drop In with Dusty Rhodes is going to be brought back as a segment, but probably not on a weekly basis, but only on the big shows. Um, and they aired a post-Super Brawl press conference, which looked interesting enough. I bet nobody realised it was Nikita Koloff running around clotheslining everyone since it wasn't mentioned. I thought it was Jesse Ventura since they're both bald. Did you all notice Jason Hervey in the background manoeuvring around so he could see the angle since people kept going in his way? 
I hope Eric Bischoff gets his game show hosting job because he's just so annoying to watch on television. So uh, our old friend there, um, <laughs> Jason Hervey. Um, and, Chad, who do you think got the Kit Frey Award uh, for being the hardest workers on Super Brawl? There were four <laughs> altogether. Hmm, on Super Brawl? Well, was it Steamboat and Rude or no? Yes, Steamboat and Rude and two others. Steamboat and Rude... Uh, I'm hoping not like Sluger. Um, <sighs> let's see, maybe Simmons and Cactus Jack? No, it was Liger and Pillman. Who was it? Liger and Pillman, Jim. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So they got two $2,500 each. So, you know, um, I guess that's the incentive that they all work for. <laughs> Uh, let's carry on. Um, March twenty third, Jim Crockett was fired earlier this week from World Championship Wrestling. Did you know he was there? We I didn't. Well, we saw him lingering around with Kip Frey. Do you remember? Yeah, he was, he made that appearance when Fry uh, was Fry. introduced. Um, I, I I mean, I guess he was where I don't know. Because we've been on the road, details of the firing aren't known at press time. Crockett, former owner of Jim Crockett Promotions, that sold out to Turner Broadcasting in late uh, 1988 and became WCW, apparently had philosophical differences with Booker Dusty Rhodes and was bounced. Like, if, I, if I'm if i Jim Crockett there, I'm going to be pretty pissed at that. Because, yeah. like, the, the man who ruined your company is now responsible for you bouncing out of WCW. It's like, fucking hell, Dusty. How much, how much is he going to... Uh, Um, that that, that feels like a a great kind of classic dusty power play like uh, Crockett getting bounced over that I mean mean, dusty with flair that uh, Zellner talked about in the 88 series and now we have this so there's a lot of dusty kind of political moves going on more bad news as El Guiante still hasn't returned from Argentina after his mother's funeral or I get, or I mean, maybe it's good news that he hasn't returned. Uh, so that's where El Gigante is. Does he come back again? Um, when let me see when Gigante finally uh, when his last appearance was. I'll look that up as you move on. It's been around a long time. Yeah, it looks like looks like March is the end of the road for him. So he's done. Thank finally, God. yeah. Oh, he's it, that it, match with Undertaker, isn't he? Let's yeah, say. yeah. Well, they, I mean, he debuts at the Rumble. But yeah, I mean, he's been hanging out since um, early to mid ninety. So only only two years, but I mean, very prominent. It really just kind of unjustifiably prominent in the upper mid card main event scene. So I think that's the biggest problem is he was always kind of lingering with the main players and had no business doing that. Um, did you know? Uh uh, D- Dallas Page tries to do an interview, but Doug Dillinger runs him off since he's banned from doing interviews. <laughs> what's, that, what's that deal about? No idea. DDP's banned from doing interviews. Is that? I wonder if that's a shoot or what. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> Jay I did, just quickly, I did like how you said in our chat that Pete was uh, doing the DDP equivalent of Good God in the last tidings. Uh, what was devious torture or whatever? Devious torture, yeah. <laughs> Pete was really trying to get that over, wasn't he? Yeah, he was pushing that. Um, Jake Roberts was backstage during the taping um, for that center stage show. 
Um, Scott Anthony is said to be coming in using the ring name Scotty Flamingo, which we do know happens because we see him tonight. Right. And Kevin Sullivan's return seems to have been next. So there's your answer there. Um, that didn't happen. No. Moving swiftly on, March the 30th. I did say there was a lot of uh, <laughs> Meltzer today. Yeah. And um, hold on. There's a new television look um, for WCW. Um, you know, the new WCW Saturday night with a format similar to primetime wrestling. Uh, the first show in that format uh, was taped this past week, and let's just say there is room for improvement. So, more on this later, but I'll just tell you that Meltzer does not like the new Saturday night. Um, so, have you seen much of that Saturday night on your videos? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, 92, like I've said, is one of the few years I haven't went through chronologically yet. And I don't remember that. I mean, I know still in May they had them long, like, big Josh Arn Anderson matches. So I wonder if this is referring to how they did that kind of up-close uh, series in early 93 with the sit-down stuff. And then, of course, you get a flair for the gold. Yeah. Um, just kind of more vignette happy but uh that's all in 93 i don't remember anything coming in the spring of 92 um well the syndicated worldwide show is going to be taped on friday nights because it fits in better with ventura's schedule jesus christ how how, how powerful is he (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna move the entire (laughs) taping just for to fit in with ventura um um Big Van Vader will be getting a mega push since he's headlining against Sting for the month of April. Um, Scott Steiner missed several shows this past weekend with the flu. I will say, Chad, that I don't think anybody gets more injured than Scott Steiner. Like, he's always on that injury list every single time, seemingly. Flu, for God's sake. Um, Expect Portly Dangerously to sign a new deal when his contract expires at the end of the month. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Scotty Flamingo's wrestling debut uh, should be the pay-per-view show um, some talk of building to a gimmick of a Missy versus Medusa feud uh, but no wrestling involved for obvious reasons like the physical well-being of the former <laughs> <laughs> yeah his Medusa would kill Missy I guess um, Don Glass is now working in public relations <sighs> get this one March 19th in Cleveland, Drew, 800. So that's yeah, a pretty shoddy. But, you know, again, Cleveland is WF country for me, I, I think, anyway. Um, yeah, well, I mean, but I, I know it, I know Georgia Championship Wrestling was airing in Ohio, so I wonder if that was the Cleveland market or the Columbus or which market. But the, the Georgia did run, did, did run Cleveland. I uh, yeah. I happened to look in that at that stuff in some detail when yes. I was uh, <laughs> uh, yeah I even got up a map and drew a line. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, that's really it. The very low news month uh, news week for March the thirtieth. So let's move on. Um, April the sixth. There were a lot of shakeups Monday in the hierarchy of World Championship Wrestling because Bill Shaw, the head of personnel at Turner and a member of the Turner board has replaced Jack Petrick as president of the WCW and top overseer. Officially, Petrick is said to be no longer in charge of the wrestling company because he'll be working full-time on a 24-hour cartoon cable channel that Turner is in the process of putting together. Shaw then appointed Bob Dew, who runs the Omni Arena 
um, and to be the executive overseer of the company, which would th- uh, which would be the person that Kip Frey reports to. So B- Bill Shaw there just immediately appointed an underling to sort this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, does it, it does it basically stay Shaw all the way to the end? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is this is kind of Shaw is the uh, Turner executive that even kind of till the end it's pretty well i think at the very end it was a uh, harvey schiller right um but shaw after the def- aol deal maybe yeah Sh- Sh- shaw's definitely there for a few years um because i even when they do the uh when they go to the omni it's uh it's uh shaw that has the angle with bischoff on that one nitro and i think that's 97 when that happens Imagine being like so high up in a company like that that something like WCW is just like an irritating thing that you want to get off your desk because that's basically what sure that's basically what that piece of news suggests to me that like he immediately just appoints someone to sort it out for him because he can't be doesn't really want to get involved. So oh, actually, okay, I just looked it up. It was Schiller in the March '97 Nitro. I thought that was Shaw for some reason. Oh, was it? So I don't I don't know maybe Shaw's not around that much I don't know but it feels like he was at least there with Turner. Mm. Um, well, maybe maybe uh, Schiller was the Bob Dew guy you know the 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 number two who yeah Bischoff would have uh, reported to. Lex Luger made his first uh, television appearance on WF All Stars uh, sorry at WF uh, Superstars on uh, Saturday, plugging both WrestleMania and the debut of the WBF Body Stars on Saturday morning on the USA Network. Luger, whose wrestling contract with the WCW doesn't expire until the end of March in 1993. <laughs> did, you, did you know that? March 93, it didn't expire till. Uh, Kip Fry was furious uh, during the middle of the week when he learned of this and told Mike Tanay of the Wrestling Insiders radio show I think it's the worst thing Lex Luger could do. It's very sad, but I have no more emotional attachment to Lex. I hope he gets Vince McMahon for a lot of money. The WF are being slime balls. The spirit of this contract wouldn't allow this to happen, but there's a loophole in the language. So what? I have no problem with Lex Luger and the WBF. If they want to be jerks about this, we just don't want to get tied up legally. As long as he doesn't wrestle or commentate on wrestling, it's okay. So more on that later because that story runs for a bit. But anyway, I thought this was quite interesting, Chad, uh, in light of uh, recent threads and things on PWO. Dave Meltzer, pet peeve number 166. (laughs) All the newspaper stories that credit Vince McMahon taking wrestlings out of smoky halls into major arenas. And then he goes on a massive rant about it. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to read it all, but basically his... Um, point is that smoking was banned at arenas and that is the main reason why you don't see smoky arenas anymore (laughs) so there we go Um, so I won't go into it but it's quite fun to just read back and things like that you know he really gets on his high horse there uh, you you miss I always enjoy when we get these kind of milk Meltzer rants of him going off what seems like a tangent on something pretty random. I haven't sniffed any smoke at the last few WCW shows I've attended, and they've been in empty buildings and cities where years back you could have expected to be full, and perhaps a smoky smell because those arenas hadn't yet banned smoking. So, 
There we go. It's quite a petty little point, I guess. Vince, um, Vince took him out of the smoke-filled arenas, as we know. <laughs> uh, you see, that that sort of stuff doesn't bother me at all, because, uh, like I said, Vince is the ultimate carny. Basically, <laughs> he's just doing his uh, doing his work, isn't he? No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so th- this is the April 6th edition, wasn't it? So, uh, hold on. This was a pretty b- bumper meltzer because there's even more uh, here. Um, so, expect the NWA World Tag Team Tournament Finals to come down to an eight-team tournament at the Bash in Philadelphia, which which, which did happen. Uh, and then there was going to be an NWA World Title Tournament in Japan. Um, does that happen in August? NWA title tournament in Japan. Uh, no, I thought Rude defended during the... Oh, I don't know. I can't keep track of all this. <laughs> uh, viewers Choice are now saying that Super Bowl did a 1.0 rating, which is a bit better for them. Um, yes, not not much else here. Oh, yeah. Rude and Dangerously have ve- reached verbal contracts for new... Uh, verbal agreements for the new contracts, both two years in duration. Although I don't think either contract has actually been signed. That definitely goes wrong for one of them, I would suggest. Yes. Um, Mike Webber, who worked PR for the WF in the mid-80s before going to work for Donald Trump, is headed here to WCW uh, to head the PR department in the next few weeks. So there we go. And there's been a lot of publicity regarding uh, K-Fan's decision to drop Jesse Ventura from doing the Minnesota Vikings broadcast next season. Several reasons were given, one of which uh, was that he was announcing wrestling. Ventura is trying to make a move to television and get on the broadcast team for the tenifized NFL games on TNT or college games. So, there we go. Would you like Jesse Ventura commentating on your football? I know, I, I know he did Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, for a season. I think that's probably this year. Um so I know he did do that, but it was only for one season. Yeah, would you uh, would you actually want him doing your say? Well, I mean, I <laughs> I don't know. It feels like we get in this argument every time, but I, I mean, I guess Jesse would be probably more entertaining than most of the talking head analysts that you get now because they kind of do a second-rate Ventura anyway, where they right. try to make some grandiose opinions but uh but you know it has to be all pc um that's sports announcing i think in general right now is really terrible but uh that's do, a, do you think a, jesse would use that hey. did you think jesse would use that line that's a grown man because uh that's what i saw when i watched nfl last year that's all they ever said that's a grown man right there. Yeah, yeah, just pretty awesome. Like, I don't even know who the best analyst in the NFL would be that does commentary regularly. Uh, April the 13th now, and um, the, as for WDCW, the big news uh, is that the change in hierarchy as uh, did happen, as reported last week. But according to Executive Vice President Kip Fry, the change should mean almost nothing in terms of company structure. <laughs> Um, Fry is still the man in charge of day-to-day operations. Patrick's role with the company is basically gone, and in his place will be Bill Shaw. Uh, oh, and then Bob Dew is the man that Fry, uh, Fry reports to. Um, and I laugh there, because uh, we're about to see something that contradicts that. 
uh, big time. Um, so April the twentieth. Oh no, hold on. There's a, still a tiny bit more. Uh, uh, yes, April the April the twentieth. Um, so um, here's he says I wanted to write, wait at least six months before writing this, but there's a pretty major consensus out there that the new WCW Saturday Night Show is a lemon. Says Meltzer, and then he goes on another massive rant about how he doesn't like the new Saturday Night. So there we go. Um, which surprises me because I always thought that Saturday Night Show was pretty good in the in the nineties. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to uh, I'm curious about that. Whether it was as dramatic as kind of being presented here. So um, here is one of the things that I'm really interested about in this. Just a little tidbit, okay. Um, the next two weeks we'll have Bill Freilich of the Atlantic Phantom Falcons and Jason Hervey <laughs> uh, coming in. Uh, blah blah blah. Interesting personalities. They get they actually come in to do co-commentary with Jim Ross apparently um, because they don't have uh, a color guy on um, uh, Saturday night for the time being for some reason. Um, and then he says uh, Ventura was good, not great, but the first week. And then Kip Fry himself did commentary on one show. He, he says Fry was passable, but clearly not a broadcaster. Now, that is really interesting to me, Chad. I want to track down the episode where Kip Fry is on commentary, because I think it might be hilarious. That seems very odd. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had no idea that happened. Never. So, yes, anybody know the date of that show? Um get in touch with me because uh you know you know i just think it would be really curious to hear a guy who basically knows nothing about wrestling commentate for an entire show so there's going to be a feud apparently between van hammer and greg valentine to determine who is going to be the real hammer in wcw (laughs) that feels like such a wcw feud god (laughs) i'm taking that didn't happen I don't recall that happening, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm the real hammer. Um, If it did uh, happen, I've erased it from my memory, mercifully. (laughs) uh, Dustin Rhodes has suffered a concussion in an auto accident, missed the Omni show. Uh, As far as the Jake Roberts rumors are concerned, I do know that there has been talk, but I don't think there's any deal finalized as of yet. Depends on the contract situation with WF most likely. Jim Ross was hinting uh, on the Power Hour, talking about Snake Watch on the 900 number. (laughs) Um, Cactus Jack was on the Howard Stern radio show for 30 minutes with Fred the Elephant Boy promoting the Meadowland show. Um, Steve Armstrong was simply fired. There will be other low-level guys who won't have their contracts renewed. Why was Steve Armstrong retired? Retired? I thought Uh, thought you said fired. Fired, yeah. Why was he fired? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. That's wasn't he, ta- he was tagging with... Uh, yeah, Smothers. Smothers. That's weird. Or no, but was that Scott? It's Steve oh, or Scott? Steve, Steve Armstrong. I always get these confused. I think Steve Armstrong, that is the young pistol, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, he's fired. Um, but Tracy Smothers continues to work, so... Well, not for long. <laughs> so we'll get to that, too. Um... Right, carrying on, unless we're in full power yeah, mode here. Pistol is Steve. Scott is the referee in WWE right now. Them are the two I always get mixed up. 
Um, okay, so we have May the 4th now. And WCW is seriously looking at trying to sign Chris Benoit for a full-time disp- uh, position, depending on how impressive he is at the upcoming Clash. So expect to see him at his best. Uh, he does wrestle on that Clash, does he? Uh, which one? The June one? Yeah. Uh, does Benoit have a little shot there? I, I think... I, I, I always remember the match with two, two Cole Scorpio. Is that coming Well, that's, that's a 93. That's yeah. a 93. That's the one I remember. Um... So, legal action update. Uh, WCW Executive Vice President Kip Fry, uh, Fry has confirmed that the company has filed a lawsuit against Lex Luger for violation of their contract release agreement. Fry uh, said that the wording of Luger's contract in his release, which Frey himself put together, is confidential. However, uh, he believes Luger and the WF have gone way over the boundaries of what was allowable in the release by regularly appearing on WF television shows, even if it is supposedly to pro- promote the WBF um, rather than uh, the WF. Luger was under contract with WCW through March of '93 and is working for Titan Sports in the WBF division that he's legally allowed to work for the WF as a wrestler. What do you do? I actually think WCW are in the right here. What are they doing? Uh, well, I mean, I, th- I think WCW has a claim, for sure. Yeah. Um, I d- I I mean, have, if I was the judge, I'd award it to them. Yeah, I mean, they kept presenting Luger as this uh, as the bodybuilder only, but, I mean, I can't even remember on WWF television. And I, I th- did he do stuff besides the WrestleMania 8 thing? Or he was on that one show that bombed, right? And then after that, it was just, well, now he's the narcissist or whatever. Heenan started talking about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if he was in contract till March the next year, <laughs> certainly they have a claim. Yeah, well, I always remember him coming in at the Royal Rumble, but I'm yeah. guessing they—I'm guessing they—they sorted it out by then. Sorted it out by then. That's what I was wondering. I mean, yeah, because by the Royal Rumble, that's when Heenan's spawning over him. So hmm. there is that. Well, we're on the home stretch now, Chad. May 11th, and the WCW has brought in Dr. David Lee Black from Nashville to give a seminar on steroids. <laughs> uh, before the, the um, oh, hold on. There's a little bit of May the fourth left. Oh, hold on, Chad. Sorry, there's a there's a little bit left, but I will get back to that seminar because it sounds hilarious. Um, uh, in fact, there's quite a lot of stuff on the May fourth I missed. Um, uh, Teddy Long has been making a lot of public appearances in Atlanta, bringing it, that different WCW wrestlers with him. Uh, he's been gone for a while, Teddy Long, hasn't he? When was the last time we saw him? Was Johnny B. Bad? Yeah, with Johnny B. Bad. Um, Paulie Dangerously and Rick Rude have each signed two-year contracts. Oh, okay. I thought Paulie leaves, doesn't he? Anyway, uh, Medusa and Eddie Gilbert have split. So, uh, Eddie Gilbert was going out with Medusa, was he? He was doing pretty well for himself. Um, Arn um, is going to be... Arn next to the Anderson is being groomed as a, a single for title shots at Sting during the summer. While those who would potentially um, be the best matches for Sting, the box office value is questionable. Although at this point, the crowd uh, WCW is drawing, it isn't so much the matches that are the determined point, so much as the local promotion with the cards and the television clearances. Um, Sting versus Arn. 
that that must have happened. That, I'm guessing that did happen at some point during that during the summer. I think it'd be a natural a natural kind of filler challenger for Sting. Yeah, yeah, good buffer uh, from the next, you know, transitioning. Jake Roberts will almost surely be coming in as soon as he gets contract release for the WF. There has been some mainstream publicity with Bill Freilich of the Atlanta Falcons talking about considering a pro wrestling career. I believe it made USA Today in newspapers in Atlanta and Pittsburgh over the past week. Freilich was uh, was guest host on the WCW show that aired on Saturday. He certainly got the size because Nikita Koloff looked like a midget on the same interview. Um, but I don't foresee someone making eight hundred grand a year switching to a full-time wrestling career. But I can possibly see um, him use as a gimmick attraction mystery partner type deal. So, uh, Bill Freilich there. Anyone you're familiar with, Chad? Well, you know, Freilich, he was in the uh, Battle Royal in the uh, WrestleMania 2. Um, and he was the, kind of the one healing it up a little bit there uh, with with the fridge Perry uh, so so he always seemed like a legitimate kind of fan or someone that wanted to be involved with the business kind of like Mongo actually uh, a good right. yeah kind of felt the same way when they say there is dissension within the Dangerous Alliance they aren't kidding in Charleston um, an incident took place backstage with Dangerous the Medusa yelling back and forth about non-wrestling related items some feared it would turn into a fight. Um, Taylor made the save when things got hot. So there we go. Huh. Uh, just an argument. Uh, broke out between Paulie and Medusa there. Um, it was clearly advertised in all cities that Sting wouldn't be there and that Koloff was taking his place. There were loud We Want Sing- Sting chants during Vader's matches. So there we go. It was Koloff versus Vader, I guess, instead of Sting versus Vader. Um, so there it is for that now let's get back to this May 11th because Dr. David Lee Black from Nashville was brought in to give a seminar on steroids to its wrestlers before the television taping the past Tuesday in Birmingham Black went through a slideshow and talked about negative side effects with those who didn't uh, care and those who didn't want to hear reaction to his presentation ranged from boring to very informative now i just the idea of that dude going there and giving basically like a a slideshow presentation to to a bunch of wrestlers um after hearing what those guys are like on flair's podcast for example is actually hilarious to me like can you imagine that all of those guys just sit in there like we have to listen to this for the next hour um so there we go um I'm sure they really took it to heart. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they did. (laughs) Big impact of of him. Um, Rick and Scott Steiner have won the WCW tag team titles in Chicago in a cage match from Arn and Bobby Eaton. After a few more weeks, um, expect Eaton and Anderson to stop teaming together, with Anderson being moved into a single slot. Um, So there we go. Steiners have the titles again. Um... What else? Uh, a decision will probably be made by the end of the week for the site of the Great American Bash show. Uh, at the moment, they still think it's going to be in Philadelphia. Um, Sting appeared on Mike Tanay's Wrestling Insiders radio show on April. It came off really well. 
So Mike Tenay doing a lot of radio uh, this time. This yeah, he had, a, be... he had a weekly show. Yeah, well, he seems to be getting like decent guests for it. And I think I think he had a hotline too. So, oh. uh, newcomer, the Super Invader, who is in fact Hercules, started a television in Saint Pete, managed by Harley Race, and is being given a major pu- push. He looked the same as he looked as Hercules. Yawn, right, Smeltzer. So there we go. Um, so <laughs> isn't that pretty damning for Hercules that they'd rather bring him in under a hood, just like <laughs> than as, as Hercules? <laughs> it gave him a Japanese gimmick too. That's uh, even more strange. This guy that's you know, I mean, clearly Caucasian. It's uh, in a Japanese gimmick now. It's uh, Paul Diamond revisited here. Judging from Saturday's TV show, we'll be seeing a return of the Bull Drop Inn with Dusty Rhodes and Jason Hervey. Hey, did you know that The Wonder Years has been renewed for its sixth season? So, uh, he really hates Jason Hervey. <laughs> um, uh, so, there we go. Um, and uh, they drew 3,000 in Chicago, uh, which is not, like, the worst thing ever, but not, also not brilliant, <laughs> I guess. And apparently... Um, Masa Saito and uh, I always struggle with this game, but it, name, but it's CG Sakaguchi are both coming into the US this week to work on deals. So uh, there we go. Um, that looks like a really good show. That Chicago show. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it looks like a decent show. Um, do you want me to go through it? I, I, I got the final matches. I mean, it's just Barry Windham and Dustin beat Austin and Zabisco. Uh, Rude defeated Steamboat by DQ at 23 minutes, so that's Super Brawl rematches, and then the uh, Steiners won the belt, so that final three matches look very good. And this is the biggest piece of news of all now. We're we're on May the 18th newsletter, and an announcement that came as a big shock to everyone, Turner Broadcasting announced Tuesday the hiring of Bill Watts as Vice President of Wrestling Operations, Watts' duties will be to take control of all aspects of the wrestling side of the business and will report directly to Bob Dew. The Wrestling Executive Committee uh, consists of Dusty Rhodes, Jim Barnett, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone will all report directly to Watts. Kip Fry's role will be to become Vice President of Business Affairs, World Championship Wrestling, his main duties in the field on marketing, syndication and media sales. Watts had a Tuesday morning meeting with the executive board, outlined some of his ideas to turn around the company's lagging house show business. Um, and uh, clearly, Fry, um, and I'll just, uh, this is actually in the June the 1st thing, but I went and had a look to see what happened to Fry, because that was news to me that he was kept on in some capacity. Right. I didn't know that. Um basically uh what happens is that um watts comes in and he changes a bunch of dates like he immediately like cancels a bunch of shows that's uh basically what one of the things that happens um but then um yeah the only event that he he didn't move is beach blast uh which is going to remain on uh june the 20th um there was a scheduled mini pay-per-view in o- in tokyo um cancelled there was a going to be a pay-per-view in september called campus crush <laughs> terrible name in uh, in boulder colorado um both cancelled by bill watts 
Um, at the changes at WCW, Kim Fry quit the company on Wednesday, which came as no surprise to anyone. Fry reportedly had no idea they were literally pulling the rope from underneath him um, when it came to power in the hiring of Bill Watts. Um, while Fry was given a figurehead position to save face, nobody expected it to last. And according to several reports, Fry is transferred within the Turner organization and will work under Jack Petrick in a proposed new division of the Turner Empire, which will produce records, films, and Broadway shows. Fry's spot and the new number two man in the company will be Jim Ross. I'm not uh, certain whether Ross will officially be given the title of vice president, but he'll be handling all the production of the television shows, marketing, merchandising, and will become the company liaison with Turner Home Entertainment, which is in charge of the pay-per-view events. So that's what happened to Fry. He basically gets moved elsewhere in Turner. That's what it sounds like. Um, Just kind of a phasing out, but the uh, writing was on the wall. Yeah. So I, I didn't actually know that he stuck around in any capacity. I just thought it was literally what's in Fry out, which is what it is, but it's kind of like a little more nuanced than that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 we should pause here, Chad. The Kip Fry era, very short. <laughs> uh, would you miss him? <laughs> yeah, um, a very short era. I, I mean, I kind of... We haven't watched the TV from this time, but it, it feels like the type of era that they're producing a lot of entertaining TV, a lot of standout matches, the pay-per-views surrounding his uh, run as executive director or whatever was uh, was good. I mean, he had two very good pay-per-views. I'm kind of spoiling my final opinion, but, you know, Super Brawl's an all-timer, and um, as we'll soon hear, I'm going to give this show a thumbs up, too. Uh, overall, and so he seemed to be doing good, but their their attendance is really it's it's very hard. I mean, I, I almost kind of want to track it at some point because as you were going through, I was just looking from the shows around this time, and it's just I mean, like like the May tenth at the Omni a week before this show, they had eleven hundred paid according to Graham, which is just wow. awful. But then, yeah. you know, they go to Dothan, um, like a month after Watts arrived. They go to Dothan, Alabama. Like, like here's this is an interesting back-to-back. June 7th at the Omni, which they were in the Omni monthly, so that was burnt out. But June 7th at the Omni, they get 2600 Now, June 8th in Dothan, Alabama, which is, I mean, you know, Atlanta at this point was a town well over a million people. Dothan, Alabama is probably a town of about a hundred thousand. No, not even that. You know, maybe a hundred thousand at the max. Probably seventy-five thousand people. They had thirty-two hundred people there in a sellout. Um, and that's a back-to-back. So it's it's a weird situation where, in some, it looks like in some markets they're doing well, but in the big markets. Like in the Birmingham's and the Atlanta's and then everywhere else, they struggle. Um, it's really weird. Well, one of my little ideas, Ch- Chad, is that um, WCW never really sorted this out. Like, in terms of being a um, company that draws really strong live gates, I, I, I think that that was an area where WF always had the edge. But where WCW excelled later, later on, I'm talking about is in getting the TV ratings. And I think you can even see it here, that their TV ratings aren't bad at all. 
if you compare them with the WF ones, but their live grades are awful compared to the WF ones. And I, I think that's a trend that continues all the way through to the like through the Monday Night Wars as well. If you look at the live gates, yeah, obviously WCW do better business than they're doing here, but they still don't do like WF style business. Rather, like if you look at WF gates, they do like like fifteen, eighteen, twenty thousand just for like a MSG house show or Philly or whatever, like regular. Whereas those sorts of gates, like WCW, never seem to draw them. It's like, it seems like they cap out at twelve thousand or something. Yeah, that's like, on a real good day. Um, and, that, and that's on a real good day. I think, like, I, yes, I think, like, in the height of the Monday Night Wars, they may have, like, done, like, a couple of 30,000 or something like that. But that's that's one of those things that I think we should keep an eye on. I, I don't think they ever got it right. Properly, properly. Well, like, even, I mean, I guess even, like, in their height of their era, there's still some, like, weird shows where... I mean, like Slambury, nineteen ninety seven is being run, and like I think that was in the one that's in Worcester. Yeah. Uh, no, well that's ninety eight. So it's it, there's just like some weird kind of choices that are made throughout there. You, you'll you'll see that there's pay per views even in that era, which are getting like six, seven thousand. And it, like if you look at like WrestleMania or SummerSlam, they'll do like fifteen minimum. Yeah, for, for a lot of those shows. Yes, I mean the secondary shows are different too. But I, but I mean like okay, sold out nineteen ninety seven. That's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I mean that's weird. That's yeah. your that's your uh, that that's like an in your house three in Saginaw, Michigan type uh, venue. And WCW was healthier even here in early ninety seven than like WWF was in late ninety five. So. It's kind of weird. Um, just the last bit of news here. Um, uh, Steve Beverly is being taken off the 900 line and being replaced by Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not banned from talking on the 900 line. Um, Beverly's Tuesday segment consistently drew the third most calls behind Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt, who have quite an advantage of constantly pugging on the line on weekend shows almost every week. Um so there we go. Who's Steve Beverly? I I didn't really. Uh, yeah, he had a he had a uh, newsletter. That's the guy that ran Matt Watch. Right. Okay. Oh, well, did he got did well getting that gig? Didn't he? Do I know? Uh, he did well getting the nine hundred gig for WCW. That's quite yeah. big. Yeah. Uh, expect Jake Jake Roberts to be introduced at the June sixteenth clash. Um. I want to say he doesn't come in until Halloween Havoc, does he? It's Jake? around that time. It's, I mean, it's fall. It's not, uh, yeah. it's not that early. I believe that Mr. Hughes and Richard Morton uh, were uh, both given notice uh, with their current guaranteed, uh, when their current guaranteed money contracts expire, they won't be renewed. Although WCW will book both of them on a nightly basis when needed. That's a kick in the teeth, isn't it? You guarantee contracts expired, but come on, you can still come and still come when we need you. We'll pay you on a nightly basis. So, um, yep. And then finally, one of the classic gaffes of the WCW. If you look closely during the tag title tournament press conference, you'll notice that one of the mics has a WF logo on it. 
How could they allow that to happen? Yeah. It's the sort of thing that would never happen on Vince's watch. But does happen in WCW, so there we go. <laughs> and uh, that's it, Chad. Quite the melts around up for us. <laughs> Made it through it. So, shall we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll uh, review. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlacetoBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and PlacetoBeNation.com. You can check out myself and Scott Criscolo on The Mothership, The Place to Be Podcast, home of great interviews and our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you there, including Main Events, which features a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, our monthly pay-per-view reaction show, including immediate feedback and discussion for WWE, NXT, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Super Shows, and Wrestling with Optimism, which focuses on the positives of the business. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast, Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave's Wrestling Culture podcast, our monthly pay-per-view rewind roundtable series led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance podcast starring myself and Pro Wrestling Only's Will, diving into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. Sports fans have plenty to dive into as well. We feature The Extra Point with Scott Criscolo and Dr. G, The Kings of Sport featuring live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, The Sports Sound hosted by Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, as well as the NBA Team Podcast, which takes a year-round deep dive into pro hoops. PTBN also proudly features Richer and the Mailman podcast, which specializes in the world of TV, thought leadership, anger, and irreverence. As mentioned, all these shows are available on PlacementNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN is also home to the tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats, RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net. Do you watch pro wrestling? Do you love pro wrestling? We do too. And there's only one podcast feed that you can't miss. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. That's the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network. We have a host of brilliant shows dedicated to wrestling past and present. Whether it's the territories, Japan, Lucha, old school or new school, we've got something for you. Get a dose of history on Exile on Bad Street with Chris Zellner. Listen to reviews of current pay-per-views on the PTBN reaction shows. Not just WWE, but New Japan, Ring of Honor, and NXT. And get your weekly update on everything else that's going on in the indies, Lucha, and beyond on This Week in Wrestling. Relive WCW Supercards on Where the Big Boys Play with Parv and Chad. Join Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave on one of the very best shows for super hardcore nerds wrestling culture. Go deep into WWF history and discover the Bob Backlund and Bruno Sammartino eras on Titans of Wrestling. Don't miss the Pro Wrestling Super Show with Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston. You can get the full archive of Goodwill Wrestling with good old Will from Texas. There's tag teams back again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. Then there's the only pro wrestling game show, Brain Buster, with me, Johnny Sorrow, and a panel of great guests every time. Get them all on one feed. P-W-O-P-T-B-N Podcast Network. You know you want to hear it. Alright, well, on that advertisement, you heard all of the other great shows that you can get here on P-W-O- 
Place to Be Nation podcast network, um, which uh, Chad talked about earlier. And now it's time for Wrestle War 92. Um, Tony Schiavone and Sexy Uncle Eric host, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, and say absolutely nothing of note at all. Um, but on commentary, uh, we have Jim Ross and my boy, Jesse the Body Ventura. And our first match is the Freebirds taking on uh, Terence Taylor and Greg Valentine, the current US Tag Team Champions. My first note here, Chad, God, are the Freebirds still knocking about? Unbelievable. <laughs> so, anyway, um, uh, over to you. Um, well, I, I think this is a kind of an interesting match, and um, it's, it, I guess... One of the well, first thing I, I guess I want to talk about Greg Valentine a little bit. Yeah. Um, we we really haven't seen him since what what Starcade, right? Starcade '83, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. So so here he comes back up, um, which has been nine years chronologically, but also I mean I would think just in the time that we started doing this show, um. I'm trying to remember kind of what the temperament was with Valentine, and I know we loved the match with him and Piper, but it really feels like Valentine's taken a pretty big rep uh, bump up the past three years, just kind of in our corner of uh, pro wrestling only. Yes. I I would say like maybe him and Martell are probably the two guys just kind of in the past three years that have uh, really their career, like now we're in the greatest wrestling ever um, I, I think there'll be quite a few people voting for Valentine, like top fifty. And I kind of, I don't, I don't know where Valentine will land on my uh, ballot, but he'll he'll probably be in the uh, bottom half somewhere. I don't think he'll be top fifty, but he'll certainly make it. Uh, whereas, whereas I don't know, you know, three years ago, I, that was before I'd seen a lot of the uh, stuff that you've chronicled in Titans. Um, so, so like just uh, in the last Titan show, that uh, that other Bob Backlund match from late '81. I mean, just a magnificent match that I'd never seen before. And then you also have the uh, the the kind of the vacant or whatever Backlund match, which is a masterpiece. There's the one hour draw, which I know you're not as fond of, but me and Pete are huge fans of. You have the series with Piper. Uh, you have the series with Tito, which has gotten great praise the last couple of years. So, so Valentine's really a guy that's kind of rose up the ranks since we last saw him. Yeah, I, I think he's ultimately hurt um, by the lack of footage of the of the late seventies, where he, where I imagine if we had his footage from Mid Atlantic in that period when he was tagging with Flair. Um, just when he was kind of active and, uh, and you know, the, uh, in that area, um, I think that he would be a contender for like top 30, 40, something like right. that. Right. Whereas without that, he's probably looking at bottom half, but he's definitely making the top 100 for sure for a lot, for a lot of us. Um, and, uh, far and away, he's, he's definitely like, if I was to rank all the workers that we've seen in Titans, um, Valentine is probably in your top five there that we've seen from seventy nine to eighty one. So yeah, I mean, I, I would only think. I mean, I, <laughs> depending on how you feel about Bob, 
Um, but I, I would think, you know, it's it's Bob Patterson or him or Slaughter, right? I mean, those are kind of your big four. Yeah, well, Ken Patera as well had it. Well, Patera had the very good 80s run. I mean, and then you got the Bruno stuff with Larry, uh, but... That's kind of more of an out-of-ring feud, I would say. Right, yeah. I, th- I think that's more of an all-time feud than, you know, great, absolutely great in the uh, in between the roads. Yeah, well, I'd, well I'd, I would have to say that Rick Martel has been phenomenal as well, uh, from <sighs> yeah. what we've seen. You know, yeah, so. you're, you're, you're killing me with the uh, Martel Gurria. Pretty, pretty soon he's going to be your top tag team of all time. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll probably, you'll actually, what nobody knows is that Chad is currently sitting looking at a picture of Rick Martel aren't you <laughs> <laughs> out of control yeah um, but, but so but this match I thought was uh, the opener here which is the Freebirds versus uh, Valentine and Terry Taylor which is an interesting team um, I, I thought this match was very interesting because it's the kind of match where it, it just felt like you wouldn't see this nowadays you know, like on a on a pay per view now, where they could throw this type of match out. Um, I, I, I mean, because not a lot goes on in this match. It's it's your typical free bird stuff, and you know you you get on back one for being on top a lot. Well, I mean, the free birds in this match, they're the baby faces, and they take I would say what eighty eighty five percent of the match. You think that's fair? Yeah. They take a lot of this match. I mean, the opening shine sequence is probably seven or eight minutes long, and this match goes sixteen minutes. And I've, I've of course, is that looked, all? yeah, Quite which I've looked it's more like twenty. Well, yeah, I mean that's the comments is like it overstays it welcome, and I can see that for what they did because there's not a lot of action here. Um, and, and I mean, my notes are basically, you know, free birds take over, Valentine misses an elbow drop, you know, here, blah, 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 um, back and forth. But, but I, I kind of admired this match a little bit and not in a star rating way. I mean, I gave it two and a half. I think it's your kind of rudimentary opener, but I mean, the crowd was into it. The Freebirds didn't do a lot at all, but were effective. Valentine, to me, felt like a real professional in this match. And even though he's certainly at the twilight of his career, just some of the stuff he does, like at one point he takes just a straight on his uh, front face bump right to the floor. I mean, just something like that, which really kind of adds something memorable to uh, the match overall and adds an air of a believability. And the, the Freebirds winning actually felt like kind of a, a feel-good moment for them, which seems weird because on the surface, you know, they're certainly being glory hogs and hanging on with whatever they can to this position and relevance in the wrestling industry as a whole. But, you know, it kind of felt it felt kind of good like it's like one of these guys that you work with for 20 years and they kind of want to send him out to pasture and all of a sudden he's the leading the team or has a great idea and you're kind of like yeah you know they sort of stuck it to the man a little bit and i kind of got that vibe here so it's I, i actually got a lot out of this match um 
So, so yeah, two and a half for me, but I, I think this one's kind of worth seeking out a little bit. Well, well it's interesting, Chad, because we've got exactly the same rating, but my spin on it is a lot more negative than yours. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, in fact, most of my notes pertain to Jesse's commentary, because uh, he uh, it, it, I've written here, Chad, do you agree with Jesse that the Freebirds are focusing too much on music and not enough on wrestling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was very, very, very critical of Taylor and Valentine during this match. Do you notice that? Yeah, well, I mean, how else? He, he was forced to be because the Freebirds were on top for so long. I mean, that was one of the critiques. I mean, I think... I don't want to get into the Backlund debate again, but I, I am someone that can tolerate shine. I mean, like the WrestleWar 90 match with the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. I mean, the Rock and Rolls are on top in that shine for a while. But the thing I've always liked about those matches is when, like, the Midnight Express take over. They really take over. And they inflict some just, like, absolute heinous damage that you feel like, even though they haven't been on top, the amount of time their their foes have, they're still kind of equal level. If this was like a Mortal Kombat fight, their status bar would be equal. Um, and you you didn't get any of that here. I mean, it really Taylor and Valentine look like bumbling idiots. I mean, they're running yeah. into each other. They're missing elbow drops. They're going for splashes, and Garvin's getting the knees up there. So you're saying Ventor is basically in a position where he's forced to note how they're out of sync and not ready. Yeah, it felt like one of those weird situations where, I I mean, certainly Ventura is going to slant more towards the heels just because that's his, uh, you know, that's his stick. But here, I mean, what could he really say? I mean, they were just so inept. Um, I did think, Chad, which you haven't mentioned, that this was pretty sloppy in places. Um, They just like there just seemed to be some timing issues. Um, and I'm putting that mainly on Jimmy Jam, I'm afraid. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Poor Jimmy Jam. He's so, he's so sloppy, though. Like, everything looks mistimed when he's in the ring, you know? Um, also, Valentine went from doing the figure four to an armbar at one point. Why? Go back to the figure four? Yeah, that was... <laughs> um, and I've written, great idea, putting the US titles back on the Freebirds. <laughs> so not only are they still around, they're winning titles. Yeah. So, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we didn't get a yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we, we the... didn't, but we did get a very loud. Um, he what did he, he said something right into the camera as, as they were coming to the ring, which uh, <laughs> got a little laugh on me. I'm actually getting to the point, Chad, where they've been hanging around so much that I kind of don't want them to leave because it's yeah. a staple of our show. <laughs> well, uh, they retire the titles. Uh, we actually won't see because they, they they give it up to the Barbarian and Dick Slater on a main event episode, and uh, then the titles are retired July thirty first. So good. <laughs> I, I've never been up for the U.S. tag titles, even it, though it, even though they've produced some good matches. I just don't see the need for a secondary. Yeah, it feels pretty insignificant overall. Yeah. Um, okay, Johnny B. Bad versus Tracy Smothers now. Or Young... What do they call him? Young... Well, like the Young Pistol or whatever. Young Tracy or Young Pistol or something <laughs> they call him. Um, and uh, I've noticed that they've significantly to- toned down the gay on Johnny B. Bad. He's not as outrageous as when we he first debuted. Now, he uh, didn't have his bad blasters here, did he? 
No, he didn't have his bow. Um, and then uh, a couple of other things. J- Jesse, even like before the match started, is starting to go on about how Johnny B. Bird's finisher is illegal. You know, the, the left hook? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's a, closed, it's a closed fist, you know? So anytime he hits it, he should be instantly DQ'd. <laughs> this will be a trope of this match because uh, Jesse will not let that go. It's one of those instances where... He gets an idea into his head and just will not drop it. Um, we also get a random Fred Atkins shout out by Jesse. Um, so that was a bit of an obscure one. Um, and uh, oh, the one other thing I wanted to mention uh, just before we get into it. Uh, this is my Jesse watch, which is going to be an ongoing feature for the next two years. <laughs> um, Jesse on the psychology of the chin lock during this match was absolutely phenomenal when he was talking about the body weight. It's that sort of analysis. Like, I don't get why the commentators don't do that now. It's just such easy, like, just easy analysis to talk about. Like, it's something that Tony Schiavone does really well as well. Just talk about the psychology of what a move does. I don't understand why Jerry Lawler and, uh, what's his name, JBL, don't do that stuff. They never yeah. talk about that stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, put in... I mean, all you gotta do is put the emphasis... I Was it, uh, later on... What, what match is it with the figure four? Uh, oh, Brian Pillman and Zink, which we'll get to the commentary there. But, I mean, Ross talking about, like, all the places, point of impact for the figure four. Just, yeah, I mean, it really gets over the holes that you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. Um, so so I, I thought this match was pretty rudimentary. Uh, Smothers did a lot of his kind of weird kung fu type offense kicks and stuff and neither one of these guys seemed to have much of a reaction um i I didn't think the heat was very good at all i thought smothers was fine on top for his uh heat segment but it was it was it was a pretty so-so match for me felt felt kind of weird in context because um you see tracy here and he's kind of still it feels like a, a pretty good youngster and kind of up-and-comer and somebody trying to find his way. At one point, Jesse did say like that whoever loses this match would be all the rankings or be affected for like a year or something like that. Um, and it's kind of odd to think, I mean, because I, I had to catch myself watching this match and think, well, you know, eight months from now, Tracy's in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and pretty much their top baby face. And you know, as we quoted before, they were drawing at points just as big houses as WCW. So that's very odd to think about with what you see here. Uh, no, 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 Chad, um, Loss, uh, our friend Charles, uh, started a thread recently where he was asking people to, to rank different wrestlers. Tracy Smothers was among them. Yes. And um, some people were like, well, he might be in my top 100 wrestlers. Um, I have seen absolutely nothing of him uh, in this match or any of his run here that would suggest that he would be a top 100 wrestler. So I'm guessing it's all based on the Smoky Mountain stuff. Uh, I think in Continental, he's really good. Right. Um, I mean, the Young Pistols stuff, I mean, they had the all-timer with the Midnights. But that, that feud with the Freebirds, yeah, that's nothing that's going to certainly give him a case. But... I don't, I don't think you can really detract that. Um, and Smoky Mountain, I thought he has some great stuff. I mean, his stuff with Tony Anthony, Dirty White Boy, they have this match in March that I just adore where it's 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 all punching. 
I mean, it is a punch-kick match. I don't think there's one hold uh, utilized throughout the match, but it just works well. And then in 95, he teams up with the Dirty White Boy and is the thugs. Um, But the thing I like about Tracy, and Tracy is someone that's kind of flirting with my bottom Mm ten, is he's had this long, lengthy career now where with the independent boom of the early 2000s, he was still around and popping up and would have kind of interesting matches with your Chris Heroes, with your CM Punks. Uh, in IWA Mid-South, he would do kind of these gimmicks where he would wrestle barefoot or kind of have like a little redneck vibe to him. Uh, so kind of that longevity of where I think, I mean, I thought he was solid here. Not top 100, but not embarrassing. And I watched, I don't think I've seen any Tracy this year, but I know I watched him a couple times last year and he was still you know, solid again and entertaining and knew his role and utilized it well. So you're talking about a gap of 22 years right there. Right. Uh, it's been entertaining. Um, so that's something that's kind of enduring to me. Just, 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 just interesting. Cause he's one of those, one of those guys, I've got like a bevy of workers, Chad, Tracy Smothers, Buddy Landell, Dick Murdoch. There's a few others of, you know, there, there are certain types of characters. Dirty white boy would be another one who are, um, I would say heavily liked by certain guys on the board um, that I did just like in the stuff that we've seen on WCW I just don't see it you know because I'm guessing that their best runs came elsewhere so I was just interested to see uh, if he's in contention for your top 100 or not um, Yeah, I mean nothing as a young pistol would be the main case you would make Right. Like, nobody would say that's a case to make. And I think he has long, better longevity and more high-end matches than someone like um, Landale. Right, yeah. Uh, so so that kind of puts him over for me. Uh, uh, so so that's kind of where I'm at and when I posted it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to watch Smoky Mountain before the deadline is due, I don't think. Uh, I think you could probably get like a a little. I mean, the thing about Smoky Mountain is you'd really only be watching for him, Chris Candido. Um, I mean, I mean, because I, I don't think Tom Pritchard could do anything to make him. And I like Tom Pritchard a lot, but he's like your ultimate solid good hand. Right. Um, yeah. So I I think those would be the only two guys that Mike could have a case based off of smoke maybe buddy Landale and the late stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah so that's kind of there i mean because the rock and roll express are great but i mean i i mean i would assume you're gonna be ranking ricky morton uh yeah. fairly high anyway so yeah he'll be right right around my top 30 so yeah, yeah. okay um well anyway i gave us two stars chad yeah i went two and a fourth i mean it, it was what it was <laughs> Ridiculous rating. You hate that rating. Two and a quarter. That's why I did it. Well, as we will talk about in the next match, it's not as good. So that's a two star. This is two and a quarter. And the first one was two and a half. I see that. Two and a half, exactly. Anyway, Missy Missy Hyatt is with the Freebirds. And I've just written here, who is that woman? Squeezy with the Freebirds? And then it was revealed it was Precious. Yes. The most faceless manager ever. It's like weird. Like, when did Precious become? She looks like kind of like just a kind of 
boring early nineties office worker or something. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think she was supposed to be. I didn't get the impression that she was supposed to be in this interview. It was really weird. Like, I just yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think probably she, you know, I mean, because she was married to Garvin or whatever, so she was just backstage. Garvin grabbed her, and then what? What did she end up saying? It just took a little precious magic or some yeah. nonsense. And, and, and the, the Eric Bischoff had the weirdest line. He was like. In these politically correct 90s, behind every good man is a good woman. It's like, what do you want about? Like, that's not politically correct. <laughs> and, and what did she do? I mean, she just wasn't good. out there. Absolutely. She wasn't out there for the match. Um, so, so, so really weird, weird moment. Um, and uh, Hayes then dedicates the win to uh, Leonard Skinner. And uh, Hayes is such a good promo and he's so wasted. I, I'm sure he could have done something better than what he was doing here. Um like during this whole run they could have utilised him in a better way I think one of the great wasted opportunities well of, of many that they've got <laughs> Hay- Hayes dedicating the win to Leonard Skinner in their hometown is some great like Matt D Freebird psychology <laughs> yeah I'm like really <laughs> like sucking up to the crowd <laughs> um alright so uh, the third match, Marcus Alexander Bagwell taking on Scotty Flamingo, who is AKA Chad. I'm Many, sorry? Uh, Scotty Flamingo, who is AKA. Oh, yeah, the uh, Raven, as we'll get to. Well, actually, Johnny Polo, that's probably. <laughs> One of the funniest moments on commentary during this entire show was when uh, they start talking about ages. And um, J- Jesse, like, randomly has a go at J- Jim Ross's age. And then J- Jim Ross is like, hold on, you just told me you went to Vietnam. You're older than me. And then Jesse, accu- then Jesse accuses JR of hiding in high school like, to avoid... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that was hilarious, as if he had any choice. <laughs> but then when he talked because he mentioned that he was like both of these guys are barely in their 20s and I was thinking to myself I was like there is no way Raven at this point was in his early 20s so I looked it up he was like almost 28 years old when this match took place so (laughs) kind of a stretch by Jesse to uh, say these guys were barely out of their teens um I I thought it was really funny the accusing uh, Ross of dodging the draft by hiding in high school. <laughs> it's like, he must have been like ten years old or something, you know. Um, yeah, and that was and that was actually a point where I mean I thought Ross kind of jabbed with Jesse more in this show than at Super Brawl. Yeah, a, l- a little bit more, but there were still a lot of moments where j- he no sold him basically. Uh, like um, he did he had a little bit more banter but most of the time he just ignored him when he was yeah. like angling for the for the banter um also um speaking of jesse what's the great j- job at beach blast because he kept, he kept on mentioning it all the way through the show what what was it what's the deal yeah and I, I think it was probably to be the uh judge of the missy hyatt medusa bikini contest right I'm, okay. I'm guessing that's what they were implying, but yeah. Okay, um, what did you make of this one? Bagwell versus Flamingo. 
Yeah, so you were very high on Pagwell, kind of wanting to revisit his development here, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't like this match very much. Um, Flamingo, Raven, whatever, someone that I've never liked a good deal. I I, I thought that this is where I, I rank, I mean, I, I think most people would rank Smothers higher than these two workers, of course, but I thought this is why I liked the previous match a little better. Is I thought Smothers on top was much better than like what Flamingo did here when he had the opportunity. Um, just kind of some awkward back-and-forth action, not a lot of substance. Flamingo ends up winning with a roll-up and a handful of tights kind of feels like he's sputtering his wheels. I mean, certainly you could see he was probably going to be uh, pegged to be the light heavyweight contender for whoever won the Zinc versus Pillman match coming up. Um, but I, I didn't think much of this. And like I said previously, two stars for me, just a decent match, kind of a time filler. I thought the, I thought it was actually weird booking having uh, Flamingo pin Bagwell. What about Bagwell's momentum? I thought that was just a bit strange. Like, that kind of... I thought they were pushing Bagwell a bit. And that's kind of a backward step for him, losing to this upstart. Um, I like the match more than you, Chad. Uh, I thought it was surprisingly good. Enjoyable. Crisp execution of moves. Uh, I enjoyed the little slap contest at the start. You didn't mention that. They, uh, you've got these these two pretty boys slapping each other. Um, I was quite excited by it, so I gave it three stars. That the slap contest was the best um, part of the match. Um, I'll give you that. But I thought afterwards it kind of died down. There wasn't a lot of kind of animosity towards each other. But whatever. I've kind of. I mean, this uh, that was kind of one of those matches where well, I watched the show on Saturday. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and it's it's already kind of flickering out of my brain. Yeah, that, that felt like one of those types of matches where I had to revisit my notes to say, "Oh yeah, I kind of remember that." Um. Okay, we get a flashback to Super Brawl Two now, with the deal with JYD and Abby, oh, Abby with the Butcher. Now, first question I've got, where is Abdullah the Butcher? Why would they bother showing him if he's not on the show? I don't know, but yeah, he's out of it. This whole deal is really, really weird. Uh, Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog takes on Cactus Jack and Mr. Hughes. I've noted here, as I always note, Truth or Consequences is the coolest hometown of all time. Um, and if uh, if uh, people want to look, I've now put the hometown as the entire place to be, uh, the PWO place. That. You see, it's truth, truth or consequences. I wondered which clown did that. I, <laughs> I guess it was either you or Steven. I was like, who put our location as truth or consequences? <laughs> Come on, what a cool, what a cool place. No, well, I wanted to put it somewhere. I, want, I needed to put it somewhere in the States because... Um, for various different reasons, I needed to, I needed us to look like we were in the US, and it was registered to London. Um, so I put truthful consequences. So it's worse than Brad and his uh, signature at PWO says he's the COO of Place to Be Nation, like we're Google or some shit. <laughs> Isn't that Triple H's title, COO? Yeah, <laughs> the Triple H of the operation, Brad. Um, oh, man. I- Okay, so, um, well, basically, Junkyard Dog walks out, 
Right. And he gets attacked by Cactus Jack, and he gets injured on the ramp. And yeah, Cactus he, does his big elbow. He does the big elbow from the the ramp, which kills JYD for some reason. He like and bounces. Did you see it bounce <laughs> on JYD's belly? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then JYD leaves, and so we get Simmons going in a two-on-one contest, and then instead of making it two-on-one, they make it um, Simmons versus Mr. Hughes one-on-one. Totally BS decision. I agree with Jesse Ventura that it should be two-on-one. I I just think that's total nonsense. Terrible, terrible booking of that. Um, What did you make of this? Well, yeah, I mean, this was was a mess, I think. Um, And again, I mean, I talk about Smothers leading uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling in a few months. I mean, think about where Simmons is like four months after this show. The heavyweight champion of the world. Would you ever believe that with what you saw here? I mean, it just, I mean, he looked like a perennial mid carter kind of in this stuff. Cactus Jack, you know, he attacks, uh, not Abdullah, JYD. That's about all he does all the whole show. Simmons and Mr. Hughes, which kind of on paper I actually thought could be a, a fun kind of big man match, was not. Um, this was not Mr. Hughes versus Barry Windham. Uh, just sort of generic action. Simmons does at least get the win, but this felt like a really thrown-together cluster. And, yeah, I mean, JYD basically walks out there, takes an elbow drop, collects his payday, and that's it. He is done. I mean, how worth – you talk about Jimmy Garvin. Like, how does JYD still have a job? I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't understand the uh... – Jesse Jesse gives Bill Watts a shout out. Do you notice that? Yeah, I did. Um, so that was quite funny. And then Ross completely doesn't mention it for some reason. Um, I just thought this was awful. Crappy, yeah. crappy feud, crappy booking, crappy match. Nobody cared. Half a star. Just, just the worst. And uh, on um, Simmons, Chad. I hate to say this, and I, I think um, you know the shows that we're going to watch uh, coming up are going to bear this out. But um, that point you made about Ron Simmons being a mid-carder didn't change with winning the title. He was a mid-cars champion. Yeah, well, um, I have to see that. I mean, because it, it, I mean, it feels like it here. Like, he feels like at best a gatekeeper role. I, I guarantee you, he's a mid-card. He's, he never, like, they basically make the WCW title a mid-card title during that, during that run. It never, he never feels like the main, the, the main deal. Um, and uh, I know kind of he's the first black champion and they, they kind of retroactively make that a big deal um, but like honestly I just think it's one of the weirdest one of the weirdest booking things just like a year like six months too early for him or something or just build him up better you know um, or, or even late too late for him it would have been better when he was feuding with Luger do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, late 91, I thought he certainly looked healthier than he does doing this. So, JYD really stuck around, huh? I'm going through the results now. He's still hanging out. We're in August. God. Him and the big cat teaming up. So, I guess him and Hughes have some uh, reconciliation. Hughes goes face? 
I guess, because it says JYD and the Big Cat. They have a run here where they defeat Diamond Dallas Page of Vinny Vegas. I assume Big Cat is Mr. Hughes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that at all. Yeah, um, I, I don't recall, but yeah, I'm all through August. And yeah, he's either pinning DDP or they're teaming up, pinning Vinny Vegas. That's crazy. August 30th looks like his last day in Penn Vinny Vegas. So, yeah, that's why Diesel went to WWF, guys. <laughs> just shit like that. I'm trying to find Meltzer's ratings for this uh, particular show. Because um, I haven't been reading them out, have I? No. Nope. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what he did. Because this is one of the show, I guess we can say, with the Turner edit. That I, I mean, the Turner edit, you only get the opening uh, tag match that we talked about, and then uh, does a you do get this Ron Simmons stuff, but then it goes ahead to the last three matches. Um, yeah. So, so the Turner edit again does a lot of favor for this show, where it does a two-hour show. It's fantastic. Uh, an all-timer contender, I, I believe, but as a three-hour show, it, it lessens it a little bit because this filler, um, I mean, Smothers Bad wasn't offensive. Scotty Flamingo Bagwell, I thought, was just decent. Now, this, this was bad. I mean, yeah. Star for this. Just, well, uh, I, I, for some reason, I cannot find Meltzer's ratings here, but I, I seem to remember that he gives like all of those matches like a a star or a star and a half. Like he's very low on the on the undercard of this match. Like he hated the Freebirds match. Hated the. Uh... Oh, here we are. Here we are. Have I, no, uh, have I found it? No. I've got it. You've you've got it. Okay. Uh, so he gives the opening tag a star and three fourths. Uh, gives the beat Johnny B. Bad Tracy Smothers match a star and three fourths. Scotty Flamingo. Bagwell a star and a half Simmons and Hughes a star and a half so he thinks those two matches are equal I'm surprised he didn't give this one a dud yeah well and then the the next one that we I guess we can go into he also gives that a star and a half so if you want to set that up he's pretty stingy with these rankings looking through them all Um, but we'll get to that it's Todd Champion versus Super Invader who (laughs) It's, uh, it's Hercules apparently yeah, so... Um, this was just a squash, as Pete would say. Nobody cared. <laughs> yeah, um, we get... We get, um... I mean, I guess, um... This is Harley Race's new charge, but it's like, what... I mean, I wonder what they thought the end game was here. Because Hercules, again, is another guy. I mean, he was he was 30, 36 when this match took place. Christ. So, so, so he's that's, not, that's, not a spring chicken. But that's really young for Hercules, considering how long he lingered around in WF and how shit he was. Well, I thought he was. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, if he came in in like what eighty seven, feuding with Billy Jack Haynes, I mean, yeah, it's only been five years. I mean, it just, that that era—that's the thing with like the WWF at that late eighties when we were kids. Yeah. I mean, it feels like these guys lingered around forever, but then you think about it. I mean, they were only... I mean, like, somebody like John Cena has been on top as a perennial main eventer for 10 years. Yeah, and you have, you have to go back to 
Bruno where that happened in one territory where somebody was prominent for 10 full years in one promotion, or I guess Sting. Um, so. so it's weird. It's almost like time has um, like slowed down or something as we've got. No, or like I, I don't know, but it it, it just feel like the stretch from eighty seven to ninety two feels longer than the stretch from like two thousand and five to now. Oh yeah, I, I, maybe it's the reincarnations too. I mean, think about like how many roles Hercules had in this those five years. I mean, you got the Power and Glory Hercules. You got him, you know, being the boss or getting sold slave Hercules. You got a. Uh, there's just kind of a lot of kind of reincarnations there. I bet you Randy Orton has got like had more time with the company than like every legend you can think of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been there uh, since 2003. I mean, him, him, and well, 2002, him and Cena. That's one. I mean, yeah, they've been on TV now for 12 years solid, and. That's that's one of the, I mean somebody like Greg Valentine too. I mean I I don't know how old he is. I guess I would look it up. Let me look that up. But he's another person. I mean he had the rhythm and blues. He had the dream team just in that little run. Yeah. Uh, you know Jobber <laughs> Valentine. So he was mm-hmm. he was forty two or forty one. So he was up there. But. Hmm. It's kind of a weird error. That, that I've, I've seen that a lot, where it feels like a lot of those guys, like Coco Beware and some of those perennial WWF jobbers of the late 80s, real early 90s, it felt like they were around forever. But Yeah, well, I mean, like, DBRC's run was literally six years. Yeah. But, you, like, I don't know. Like, you think, you know... I, it's it's a weird thing. It's a, it's a very strange little phenomenon like that where the uh, the eighties time seems slower than the than the current time. Right. Um, anyway, I don't think there's anything to say about this match. Is no, there? I mean I went mean, a half a star. The match was bad. That's <laughs> all there is to it. Champion um, sucks. I don't think we see champion again unless he's in one of these battle bowls that I always forget who's in them. Uh, so so that's good at least. Yes, um, I gave it one star. Yeah. Uh, so now we have Richard Morton taking on Big Josh, Chad's favorite. Um, now I've written here, Chad, Morton has been lost for some time now. Like, when did the York Foundation end? Ages ago? Uh, yeah, like, till the end of 91. So no. He's in limbo here. Is he a face? Is he a heel? I think he's wearing Rock and Roll Express gear, but he's still called Richard. He has no heat. He has no identity. He's just completely lost. This must be like a career low point for Morton here. Yeah, this was... I mean, he was right at... I mean, he was already... They had already done... Started airing Smoky Mountain um, at this point, so... I mean, he was already one foot out because uh, him and Robert come in in like early August. So, so yeah, this is just him biding his time until he's gone. So, what did you make of it? Um, I was actually kind of disappointed in this match. I thought I thought it could be good. Um, 
I mean, you, you got Big Josh, which is another guy kind of biding his time till his next good gimmick would come along, which would also happen shortly when he moves on to the uh, WWE, uh, WWF. But yeah, I mean, around this time, Big Josh has that long match with Arn Anderson, which is a really good match on TV. Morton can if he's motivated can certainly provide a performance and these two just sort of slept walk through a match where they tried to present the story of Morton being the underdog but this match had a really weird dynamic where Morton's fighting from underneath but he's the heel uh, kind of pseudo heel Big Josh ends up winning with the uh, Northern Explosion or whatever and I gave it two stars. I, I was really disappointed. This is another one of those matches where it comes on your screen, you watch it at seven minutes, but you forget about it almost immediately after it happened. Uh, I liked it very slightly more than you, Chad. Two and a half. I said good story, well executed, but nobody cared. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, and, I mean, this is your quintessential two guys that are... I mean, their mind is in the parking lot when they're having this match. Like they, they are, they're, they're out the door. Now, here's one point I want to make because I think a lot of people have me down as a guy who's very down on the modern product and champions the old school and stuff. This match, Chad, and the last one are basically like TV matches that have no place on a pay per view. I would say, awful. How can you put Todd Champion with his Super Invader? Like, like, which is literally just a squash win to establish Super Invader on a pay-per-view. Awful. Yeah. Well, and th- th- this, I mean, yeah, this this screamed uh, power hour, this match. Yeah. But, but they shouldn't be putting these matches on the, on the pay-per-view, I don't think. So, I mean, Meltzer gave this one a star, so even less than Invader and Champion, which I don't understand, but... What, you know what Meltzer, though, he gets in little grooves, doesn't he? He gets in like a bad mood for a run of matches, or a good. He gets hype for a run of matches as well. Well, he really so. ranks this match. I mean, this show. I'm, I'm interested if you can find it in the Observer what his commentary is, because this is one of those things, and this is why I contend. Um, this is going to be my second kind of soapbox rant of the day, but this is why, like, I'm a big proponent of comparing stuff historically with wrestling and these new Japan shows that are happening right now. I enjoy, I do enjoy them, but I have to scoff at times when I see the reviews and the rankings come in, you got five, six, seven, four star plus matches. And I watch the show and the matches that other people are ranking four stars. I'm like, yeah, that's a good match, which in my mind is three stars. And you see like Meltzer's ratings on some of these matches, like four and a quarter and stuff like that. And when we get to the matches coming up that he ranks not four stars, it just seems like he's way more lenient with his, I mean, you know, looking at his star matches rankings for this show. Now he would call this, you know, a disappointing show up until the main event. I think mm. so. It's it's kind of interesting how I do believe the standards have changed over time, and athleticism has sort of dictated that if you do a match that's stiff and there's a certain competitors in the match, then automatically it's going to get probably a four star rating. Yeah, I mean, my my view on this chat is that um, 
Meltzer has never been a very good critic of wrestling. Like he's great as a historian, he's great as a journalist, but his actual like review part is just n- never been that good. Like even even during these shows that we've seen, like his analysis and stuff, just like he doesn't really give many reasons for his ratings. Often seem very arbitrary to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, that's it. I cannot find the ratings. Um, for this, for yeah, this show, yeah, I'm getting them off. Of the, I mean, I'm looking on a Google site that has them all, so it's not a pull from the actual observer, but so uh, kind of just trusting that. Yeah. Well, what, what was the date of the show? Uh, uh, maybe the, I can uh, May seventeenth. So it'll probably been the May twenty fourth observer. May thirty first. Some that time. There doesn't seem to be. There's a June. There's a June first one that I've been looking at, and that's the one I'd expected to be in, but I can't see it in there. Mm. Oh well. Um, so d- d- uh, d- maybe when you're reviewing this next match, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, locate it um, because the next match is. Oh no! Before that, Chad, there is a, a little segment with the Z, the Z Man, as you say, <laughs> yeah. the Z. Um, and I I couldn't believe this. Like, I even messaged you about it at the time. Like, what the hell? Um, the, the, so, the, like, I don't know what the deal was here, but he, the, uh, Z-Man was coming back from injury. And remember, he was tagging with Brian Pillman before. And he has got some, like, complaint. And he wants to take on Pillman. Um... And I just said, like, is this a heel turn? Because he was so whining in do- doing this thing. And, like, i just written here, he seemed like a whining bitch in this segment. Surely this is a heel turn. Um, I couldn't believe that he wasn't a heel. W- what did you make of all this? Yeah, so so basically he got jumped attacked on Saturday night and then issues a challenge for them uh, for the light heavyweight belt. And... Brian Pillman stops him and says, well, wait a minute, you haven't even won the belt for me yet, and you're already issuing challenges uh, defending the belt. So, this was, this was kind of, as we'll get into this match, this was your, uh, this was your mama made me bologna sandwiches as a kid moment of this feud uh, with the face versus face dynamic. But yeah, I mean, Z-Man did not come off looking great here. I, I just saw he was so whiny. Like nobody could possibly cheer that guy. Like that's what I thought. It was just like, and it actually made me think that like he would make quite a good heel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the most compelling I've ever seen uh, Zenk in, a, in an interview set setting. Um, anyway, um, what did you make of this one? I'm interested to hear what you think about this because I, I love this match. I always have loved this match. I think it is a incredibly interesting match to watch just based on who the competitors are and also an interesting match to watch based on the time frame in wrestling history because you just saw Piper versus Hart at Wrestlemania 8 and uh, this match is again face versus face but feels different from that match Um, whereas that match I guess felt more story driven this had more athleticism I would say but uh, I also loved like the little instances of would somebody go heel in this match, and I think in both uh, 
it, with both competitors, you saw Pillman get more intense as the match went on. You saw Z-Man kind of hog it up with the crowd a little more as the match went on and get cocky. Uh, so just those little tendencies I really enjoyed, um, and it kind of resulted in Pillman losing this cool first because that was I really liked the commentary here where Jesse kept waiting on somebody to cheat first or do an illegal move and then it got a great payoff and you had some teases here with you know like kinda I would say not the most sportsman like moves like a, a, a boot to the back but you know they were using the flat of the book so that's technically a legal move um, so, so this match I think is great you have the figure four the uh, selling of fatigue at the end, some tremendous near falls where Z-Man at one point is cocky um, and doesn't uh, hook the leg, and that's when Brian kicks out. And then there's this great spot, which this is a spot that usually looks awkward, but Brian comes off the top rope and Z-Man gets a big boot up, and Brian just completely eats it. And then Z-Man hurls flying Brian up in the air, and he lands face first on the mat, and that looked great. Uh, but Brian's able to kick out with his foot on the ropes. Z-Man again gets too cocky, goes to the well one too many times, and uh, misses a splash. And then Brian's able to roll him up to get the one, two, three. I went four and a quarter on this. Huge fan of this match. Um, I guess I don't know which one I like more, this or Piper and Hart, but I think I think they're definitely comparable in a good one-two punch to show how effective a face versus face match can be in wrestling, which is really rare. Yeah, um, I'm with you, Chad. Four stars, great match. Um, I thought Pillman's ground game was really solid during this, which is an underrated element of his of his work. I think he, he seems pretty solid in every department to me, Brian Pillman. Um, Crucifix looked really cool when he did it. I love one spot they did. Scoop Power Slam as a counter to the Sunset Flip. I, I just written here, oh my god, great spot. That was an amazing uh, move, I thought. So, there we go. Yeah, no four stars. I, always would, uh, I don't have much to add, uh, Chad. Underrated, probably, in the overall scheme of things, this one. Yeah, and, and definitely the best Z-Man match ever, I think, for sure. Yeah, uh, certainly the best one I can remember. There's a couple of Can-Am's tags that are pretty good, um, yeah, I would say. There, I mean, there's that singles match with Flair that I like from early 90 or February. Um, but that, that to me, is like probably three stars, three and a quarter. And so I, I want to say the Funks versus the Can-Am's. I gave a four and a half to at one point. Um, so uh, I think I think that one. Um, yeah, a very good match. I haven't really thought about it in terms of Piper uh, Bret Hart though. That's interesting. Um, I haven't seen that match in a while, so um, I don't remember being as high on it as everybody else. The Piper Hart. So maybe I might rewatch it just out of interest, you know. Now we have the Steiner brothers taking on uh, Fujinami and a young man called Azuka. Yes. <clears throat> who I was interested, I spent some time looking at his career. He had quite a long and varied career as a Zuko, yes. isn't he? He's, he's yep. still around, he's still working. He still is, uh, as the uh, big claw that he comes out with. Um, yeah, kind of one of the strongholds there. 
He does like a hardcore gimmick, I'm led to believe. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so, this is quite a famous or infamous match, Chad. What did you make of it <laughs> this time? Yeah, so, I mean, Azuka gets his ass beat. That's sort of the the premise of this match. It's it's a it's a bomb show match to me from the uh, from the get go. I I I like the match a good deal, but it's it's one of those weird matches where you feel uneasy. You you feel like the lines are being kind of blurred to me um, between working and shooting. And not in kind of one of those rings types of ways where there may have been an agreement and you're getting a mano to mano. There's a certain, I guess, locker room hazing mentality that I got throughout this match. Um, so, so this is really one of the weirder matches I think for me to rank. I ended up going three and a half. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's. I, I didn't really take a lot of analysis of it. I just watched it. I mean, I mean, Azuka is kind of bleeding from the eye pretty quickly. You can definitely tell that's affecting him. And um, but but he kind of takes his lumps there. But I mean, the Steiners are just relentless. Especially Rick, I thought, just absolutely kind of pulverizing him and being super stiff. Such a dick, isn't he? Rick yeah, Steiner. yeah. I mean, a, a complete prick. I would say during this match. And um, so that's that's why it's there. Like, I mean, as a brutal kind of spectacle match that I think everybody should probably see once, sure. Um, and I could see you ranking it really high as a word match because it's, it's something certainly memorable. Um, but but I think I'm lower than most of the – I am lower than the rankings I've seen um, for this match. And that's just, just because while I did think it was very good, I did feel very uneasy. And this match has a different type of vibe than uh, most any wrestling match I think I've ever seen, actually, that didn't... I, I mean, because you, like, you have, like, Tenta versus Koji Katao, which breaks down into a shoot. But that match is, like, two minutes, and then it's a shoot. So that's, you know, if you're going to put a star rating on that, it's like a dud or a star. Mm. Um, this is a match that kind of really creeps up to that edge, never quite breaks down but yet still feels like a uh, a really good match. I, I actually think the match this compares to the most is Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart from Survivor Series up until the screw job. Right. Because that's a match where you can really feel the palpable hate between the two, and they're laying into each other, and there's there's just a feeling of unease and dread until that moment happens. And it's not so much that you know the screw job's going to happen, which, you know, whatever with that. There's, there's just such a kind of hatred that you feel between the two, and you feel like the match is just one errant shot from just completely breaking down. And that's the type of vibe I had from this match. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean, that uneasy feeling. Um, in terms of brutality, I actually thought that... Um, what was that match? Uh, Brock Lesnar versus uh, Roman Reigns had yeah, some of it. WrestleMania, yeah, that too, when, when uh, Roman's like legit bleeding and then they're yeah. laying in the shots, yeah. Uh, that's an, that's another match. I I think that match is better than this one. Um, but it had like this has something of that. Um, 
Now, I think that this is probably a match that every single one of our listeners has already seen, Chad. Um, and if you haven't, like, go and watch it. It's a, I, yeah, famous I, I, match. For, for me, I think this is a match that everybody can remember the first time when they saw it. Right. Like, as a, it's just one of those kind of moments as a fan that you have. And when I first watched it, I was like, holy God, you know, I can't believe this. Um and I don't think it's lost any of its holy shit factor for that. Um, and to be consistent with uh, my other rating, they're giving it four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, you could have probably predicted before the show. Yeah, I knew uh, you'd be uh, pretty high. And, and just, so Melter gave both of those last two matches three and three quarters. I'm very surprised that he gave this one such a low rating. Yeah, which again, to me, kind of speaks to the time frame. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is, again, yeah, I would definitely think that most people have probably seen this before, but, I mean, it's it's becoming more and more apparent, you know, as, as we're an older part of and newer fans are coming in, that, you know, there's some people that were either born or two or three years old when WCW went out of business that are now posting on pro wrestling only. So it's, it's definitely possible that they have not uh, went back and come to watch some of these classic shows. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think this is one of those ones um, where you, you kind of need to see it. Um, you know, uh, yeah. God, Azuka. I mean, Really, the Steiners make themselves heels in this match. I, I think, I think there's an element to which you're rooting for the for the Japanese underdogs yeah. in some weird way here. Um, and one interesting thing I was looking out for, I was like, "Well, hold on, no, Fujinami is is not like a guy to fuck with, you know. Like, there's no way he was like, you know, Anoki's boy for." You know, there's no doubt that Fujinami can shoot, right? right? If he needs to, sure, he can handle so, himself. So I was, I was actually this time around looking out for like, how is Fujinami taking it? As he noticed, and how is he working this match? And how are the Steiners with him? I think it's like an interesting little kind of meta element to all of this. Mm-hmm. And they're certainly more careful with Fujinami than they are with a, with with the kid. Um, so. I'm I'm also interested in know like has Azuka ever kind of used this to build his legend this match at all? Given that he's been around for so long, or is it or is it kind of forgotten about? Yeah, it's not really. I don't think it was a very a point of emphasis um, in uh, in Japan. I, I mean, he was kind of like one of those guys where he was. Uh, I wouldn't say like a mid carter, but he wasn't up near the top of the card for a while. But he's just—I mean—he's been around forever. Like, like kind of a like a kind of like a New Japan Fuji or something. Like one of those type of guys who's just yeah. there a long time. You know? Yeah, I—I—I I, I guess I'm trying to think of like a an American comp, even maybe somebody like a Hercules. <laughs> That's not a bad comparison, like card <laughs> position wise. Right. So Bob Holly. Yeah, kind of in that vein. Um, okay, so yes, uh, legendary match, and now we're getting on to an even more legendary one. Yeah, it's the War Games Sting Squadron. That's Sting, Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat taking on the Dangerous Alliance, aka the coolest men in the entire world, <laughs> aka Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, and Larry Zabisco. And Chad. 
when we started doing this show, um, this was the sort of thing I imagined getting to. Yeah. It was literally th- these guys walking out. Um, the Dangerous Lions walking out uh, to the War Games is just one of the coolest images in wrestling for me. So, uh, <laughs> um, yes. Now, before we get to the match, Chad, both me and you play games of various strategy games, board games of various sorts. Right. And Jesse kind of starts talking about it. And um, Paulie has got like a little kind of tactic sheet there. He's got a little playbook that he's going, he's, you know, he's going through the strategy with, uh, with his teams. I was thinking going into a war games match, if you were Paulie dangerously, what sort of tactics, what ideas would you have to try to win? Um, like assuming you're the team with the advantage, say, what what what's the game plan? Yeah, and I, I, I took a few notes from that too, Parv, and I thought I thought that was very smart with how it was kind of presented too. Um, whereas you can certainly see Paulie's strategy here, and with the way the match turns out, the only thing that as we get into the match, like starting with Austin, that's your youngest guy, you know most energy kind of starting out somebody you don't have to worry about stamina wise right and then and then they win the coin toss so he knows they're going to get the advantage so paulie just decides to kind of go all in at that moment he sends in his ace rick rude who's his Mm. his main dude who's somebody that i think if you thought about and i guess the war games up to this point i mean flair did enter early sometimes but Mm. but most of your kind of main event big guys were towards the end where you'd have flair come in and then dusty would come in that's kind of the visual i have um, so Rude entering number two really feels like he's putting Sting Squadron on the ropes. Early. Well, well, actually, isn't it always Don on Dusty Star, and it's somebody like one of the Row Warriors will come in. Yes, yeah, like, like Hulk, it, yeah, yeah, Hawk or Animal, yeah. right? Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Then you get Anderson. I, I was interested by that because you'd think I oh, would start, wouldn't you? You would think so, but I, I did like the choice of Austin just because he's the youngest. Like he's got the youngest legs, the you know stamina, most energy. Um, I, I could see Orange starting. Like I, I wouldn't. I, but to me, the biggest error he made was I'd have put Zabisco last. Because even in a storyline sense, there was some uneasiness with Larry. You know, they were foreshadowing what would happen here. Um, So I didn't quite understand why Eaton came in last. Uh, I thought thought that was sort of a strange choice. Because, you know, I mean, Eaton was your television champion and kind of your lighter, faster-paced worker, too, around this time. Um, So interesting strategy, I thought, but I I really loved that. So did you have any ideas like if you were if you were the coach like what would you be saying like do you just just try to isolate one guy like you know try to injure like who started out with Austin can you remember was it Wyndham <coughs> I think Wyndham starts yeah, right it was, with, it was Wyndham So like do you try to like I don't know isolate Wyndham's arm or something or like just you know, everybody who comes in the ring immediately go for that? Or? Yeah, I, I think the key 
to me is if I was in Polly's position, you have Rude, who's like a blue or bruiser, and Arn, who I mean, his gimmick is the enforcer. So I would have those two guys try to keep and everybody in one ring occupied. Like if they could fend off three to four of the other opponents in one ring. And then you isolate whoever is the weakest person on Sting Squadron, mm. which I probably would have went with Dustin, I think. Yeah. Would have been yeah. interesting there. Um, that's just kind of in my mind what I would have done if I was hypothetically Paulie. Right. Well, what did you make of it? Well, I should mention Jesse absolutely hates Barry Windham's taped hand, which is something that oh will be an ongoing trope over the next couple of years. <laughs> he won't let that go either. Um, <laughs> he will always mention it. Um, okay, so what did you make of the match this time out? Well, so the, the, I mean, this is a match I watched when we did the uh, top 100 matches to watch before you die and it's a match I've seen countless times but I, the, the thing I love about this match is for me it never lessens I mean it's it's one of those it's like a it's like one of those Citizen Kane Godfather matches and we, we, we've had those before par with like Clash 6 and yeah. different stuff we've talked about and I'm never someone that I mean but I'm not going to be contrarian just to be contrarian so I do think you know no match in wrestling history is completely flawless so you can nitpick maybe certain minutiae within this match but as far as just like a blow off to a feud a violent spectacle match that feels visceral I mean to me this match is one of the most cinematic matches in wrestling history there's a sequence in it um, it was was right before Medusa and Sting scale the cage and I'm including that in but there's a sequence where you're inside the cage and you see just like bodies flying into the cage stiff punches kicks right to the face and it's just a violent visceral spectacle that reminds you of kind of the opening scene from saving private ryan like that one shot at where they're on normandy beach and um you know it's just like this epic absolutely immersive environment that you find yourself in where it does feel like a war zone. I mean, you are in war games, and it feels like that. So uh, I wrote a lot of notes here. So Wendell and Austin started. Um, I did make a note with Paulie's game plan. It looked kind of like Home Alone, you know, when Kevin yeah. McAllister has his little... Uh, I thought that was... Um, uh, now, now, Austin is someone I wanted to talk about a little bit with this match because, you know, he, he drugged down the war, uh, the Super Brawl tag. Yeah. And I thought he really kind of had a coming out party here, um, in my mind. He was bumping like crazy, and he was everywhere. Yeah. I was well, very I mean, impressed. Wyndham absolutely kicked the shit out of Austin. Oh, it, just, I mean, he... he, he I, have never, I don't think I've ever seen... Barry Windham kicked the shit out of someone that badly because I mean Austin's just covered him he's wearing the crimson mask very early in this match right yeah and I just saw this is the best work we've seen Austin do by a mile sure absolutely I think this is without a doubt um 
the best Austin look. So this is an awesome segment. And then, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Dangerous Alliance wins the coin toss. Root comes in. I thought Jim Ross's voice starting to panic when Root comes into the cage was completely great. Set the tone and temper for the match that, you know, he was losing his mind. Um, and, and, I mean, it just goes from there. I mean, Steamboat comes in, and Steamboat and Rude, also in this match, they just killed each other. They they were like glue stuck together. Um, well, one thing that stood out to me, Chad, just on the subject of Rude and Steamboat, is that the entrances in this particular War Games are phenomenal. When Rude comes in, he hits it the ring with so much intensity. Yeah. It's just amazing. And then when Steamboat comes in, another just amazing entrance. Like, just talk about impact. And, I mean, it, it speaks to, like, the genius of the of the War Games structure because it's all about those explosive entrances. But re- really, like, th- that might be that, like, Rude's, like, minute or so that he has when he's when he first comes in the ring that may be like the best minute of rick rude's career because he's absolutely phenomenal um and then steamboat is great as well when he comes in so i really dug that this time around that's that's that is a great point that all i mean pretty much everybody's entrance is arn's entrance is amazing yeah yeah so steamboat hits a hunukarana which i thought was awesome on rude (laughs) and yeah then arn comes in he ddt's barry gives steamboat the spine buster and then does his little pump fist which i absolutely adore him and rude do a double boston crab which was great uh rude hits a pile driver on steamboat and i mean it's it's just there's great payoff spots all around because as soon as um as soon as uh Dustin comes in and they're able to gain regain the advantage. Then Steamboat puts the Boston crowd on Rude, so you get a you get a payoff spot right there. Dustin gives uh, Austin the electric chair, and then Arn does this a couple of times in War Games, but it never fails to kind of crack me up where he has his head between the ring. Um, and it's like they're driving it down and Arn's legs are like going crazy and shaking. And uh, me and Charles were talking about this the other day where I watched that Terry Funk match that surfaced, the tag match, um, where he's hurt and he's on the outside and he's staggered selling and he hits the ring post inadvertently and then starts selling that. And it's kind of comedic in a moment, but it's also like, kind of you know i mean it's a legit thing like he would be hurt from that and we surmised that like funk and arn are the two best at all time at kind of doing that dangerous comedic selling where yeah. when something dangerous is happening to them they can kind of like even in the mix of this violent you know dreadful visceral match like arn has this spot that kind of makes you chuckle a little bit um so so I, I just love that uh, then you get the great spot with Medusa scaling the cage throws in the foam but Sting meets her on top with the crowd just going crazy uh, Dustin gets hit with the phone he's busted open Sting comes in and goes nuts I, I, I think again this is a highlight for Sting where Sting is someone throughout his career that never kind of looks like the guy the ace of the promotion and I did feel like, you know, like Steamboat was the, you know, uh, he had hatred for Rude and 
Dustin was, you know, the young upstart that wanted to prove himself, and Barry was just a, a bastard that was going to kick and punch anything that moves. But to me, Sting felt like the the leader of this team and Absolutely, felt like yeah. the ace of the promotion, which is a role you don't see him in much at all. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect, and he delivers in this match. And then, kind of, you know, you get the the kind of, I guess, the final stanza um, where Rude's head's in between the cage. Uh, Steamer and Sting make a wish. Polly screams "War" as Bobby Eaton comes in, <laughs> which I thought was—I mean, Polly on the outside. There was not any. Uh, I mean, he worked on the outside because whenever they cut to him, he's either talking strategy, he's talking to Medusa, he's scheming, he's doing something. Like, this is a true, like, mastermind behind the control panel doing everything he can to, you know, save his empire from completely collapsing. Uh, And then Nikita comes in, you get the final, he's the powerhouse of the group, getting that Road Warrior pop like you talked about. He's kind of in that spot with this match. And they do the the, uh, sequence where they show he's on Sting's side. Initially, they kind of embrace to a huge pop. And then that sets up the finish with the with the turnbuckle which i thought was kind of clever um i mean i mean the one thing with the war games is it's submit or surrender so you you'll never like the crowd sometimes when the bell rings they're not able they just see a blob of action so they don't necessarily know who gave up unless it's very obvious uh, but I thought it was effective with the way it played out with Larry Z, you know, accidentally hitting Eaton in the shoulder with the turnbuckle and then uh, Sting able to get the submission to finally put it into this feud. What, what, what I absolutely loved about this match this time around, Chad, was the fact that it, all of this carnage, sheer brutality, okay, and it ends with an armbar. That's just the yeah, best. That's pretty ever. brilliant, yeah. Yeah, be, because... Because it really gets over. Well, yeah, of course, he's just been hit in the arm with this massive metal pole. Of course, he's going to tap out straight away. Uh, I just thought it was a brilliant little piece of story. To I love that finish. Just like a rare piece of subtlety in wrestling. Yeah, you know? it's, it's it's like it's like it's it's perfect. Like it's so simple, but it's the absolute right choice. Yeah, th- there was a moment during this match where JR's on commentary and he just goes, oh, it's immense. And then he just gets lost for words. <laughs> I just, uh, I thought that was really uh, awesome little piece of commentary by JR where he just kind of like, he just, you know, when he gets so excited that he just hasn't got anything else, to, like yeah. he, he completely gets kind of flustered imse- himself. Um, great. Um, I don't know what else this is. There's a lot of blood that moment that you talked about, Chad, where it looks like, uh, you know, looks like uh, a scene from a war film or something. Bodies lying around the ring, smeared in blood. So just what a match this is. Um, so I've given it five stars. What have you given it? Yeah, five stars for me. Um, I, um, I've done a lot of thinking and, like I said, doing the top 100, now rewatching this match and uh, to me, this is the. I, I feel pretty confident now in saying, in my opinion, I think this is the second best match in the U.S. in the 1990s. 
Um, I only have Austin versus Hart from WrestleMania 13 ahead of it. Wow, so two for number two match for the 90s. Number two match for the entire 1990s. Now, here's a question I've got for you. Is it the number two match of the entire Where the Big Boys Play run up until this point? Yeah, so I figured that would come up too, and that is one that I also thought about. Um, it's not number one, and it's not number two. I still have... Uh, Tully, Magnum, and uh, yeah. Clash 6 ahead of it. But then good, yeah. number 3 is where it gets very interesting, kind of in that Wrestle War, uh, Garvin, Flair, Chi-Town Rumble, that kind of clog. And um, I do think this is probably the number 3 match I think we've seen on these shows. For- yeah. I, 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 this, I mean, I, I the thing I love about the... I mean, there's so many things I just love about this match. Like I said, I mean, I've seen it three three times just this year. And I've probably seen it 10 to 12 times. But something like that finish. Like, I never really thought about that till you brought it up. But that, uh, that is... That's just... That's just great. I mean, that's so smart. And the match doesn't overstay its welcome, which I think is inviting. I mean, it's like... Well, how long was this match? 22 minutes or... 23 minutes and it's it's but it's entirely draining like whenever i watch this match i think you know okay i'm kind of done for the night with wrestling watching because i don't how how do you feel for larry at the end because i have always felt a bit sorry for him it's like oh god he didn't mean it leave him alone and it's just like do you know what i mean like he he's he you can really tell that he's let the side down and they're legitimately pissed at him as well. Um, I just think it's one of those like I don't know. It's a it's a weird it's a weird deal that um, where you know the stuff with Larry. Um, and he's, what, what, do you, what, what do you make of it? Yeah, he's an interesting person to do that to. Um, also, because if you think about Zabisco throughout his career, I mean, being deemed the protege with Bruno, and then what happened there, and then his stuff with Bachwinkle, and kind of the journeyman, devious man, or, you know, he's the one yeah. that, he was the catalyst for Henning's Hill turn. So he's kind of been wrapped around, you know, he he's someone that, like, I think it's interesting that the bad guys finally turned on him when you think about his career arc because yeah. he was always the one that, you know, he turned on Bruno and he sort of got Henning to finally come to the dark side against Bockwinkle, who he had heat with. So he was always a catalyst and someone that would always jump in and be the most dastardly uh, of the day, I mean, like he was the one that crushed Barry Wyndham's hand at Halloween Havoc. He was kind of the catalyst for that. I, think, I, thought, I thought that was very smart that he was the one to take the fall. Um, because if, if you think about it in real life, he's like the one that would trash talk the most, that would pop off, but uh, eventually kind of got caught and just sort of yeah. was a victim of his own circumstance, to uh, quote J.J. Dillon. Um, so th- there's one other thing we have to do now, Chad, as well. So we've we've ranked it um, up against all the other matches. I think I'm I have it three as well uh, in the matches that we've seen. But we also now have to rank the war games, Chad. 
or that we've seen to this point not right. not like all of the war games clearly this is like well i've got this as the best war games that we've seen yeah but i also have if you remember the 91 war games as a five star match yeah <laughs> um which is my number two would you have that as your number two or the 87 one with Ellering? I have the uh, July 4th, 87 one from the Omni as my number two. Uh, Over the night. And then 91 is the third one? one? Yeah. And then after that, it would be the one with Bossman? After that, I might actually have the. Uh, or the Freebirds one. I think I actually might have the Freebirds one from 89. Which I, right. I, I really like. Uh, kind of oh, Michael Hayes. Something. Michael Hayes is a lot of fun in that one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's one of the sort of underrated ones. But, but yeah, I, I think that might actually be the next one, and then probably the one with the uh, Ring and War Machine. War Machine, yeah. To come in after that. So, um, okay. Well, I'd be interested if anyone doesn't have this as the t- like. Is it consensus that this is the best war games, or do some people like the eighty-seven match one? Uh, well, I, I know Zellner on his podcast said he liked eighty-seven the best. Yeah, I, I thought I thought he might say that. So, so he's he's champion of. I mean, in like the the July fourth eighty-seven one, I, I that that to me like I've, I've been thinking about my rankings kind of overall and. I, th- I think I ended up ranking that one four and three quarters. Yeah, I have it at four and three quarters. But that's the type of match where if I ever sat down and did like my top blank matches of all time, I think that might that war games might be the first match at the four and three quarter mark. Um, right. Okay. It, it, it's it's right there, and if I watched it again, I could see it tilting towards five. Uh, so, so it's, it's up there. Okay. Um, right. Well, but this, uh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, surely again, if you haven't watched this match, watch it. If you have watched this match, I'd, I'd recommend revisiting it because I, I was surprised just how well this stood up. I hadn't seen this in a few years, you know, and I was just like, wow, this is really every, like, this was actually probably bad than I remember it. It really blew me away this time. Yeah, and you've watched, um, I mean, this kind of come for you, Par, where you've watched a lot of great stuff kind of recently. Um, yeah, so- yeah, I've I've been watching uh, the All Japan stuff, and, like, honestly, honestly, uh, I probably, I probably, if I was making, like, my all-time thing that I'd, in like I don't know desert island matches or something, I'd probably take this above most of them. Yeah, that I can think of. Um, yeah, I, I apart mean, from I mean, apart from maybe the apart from maybe uh, what was it six one ninety four? Oh, six three ninety four. Yeah, six three ninety four. I I would take um, I oh I don't know. It's it's it, the fact that it's close is saying something yeah i think that says a lot for this match i mean this match world one when i do do the 92 year book i'm i'm very interested where this match will end up on um on my all-time list because i mean 92 is a weird year where you have i mean you have this match you have a uh, joshi tag in november the dream rush which is uh, a match that some people say is the greatest match of all time 
including like loss as Charles is kind of he was in that camp and um our dream rush eh? dream rush is the name of the show it is um it's a Toyota and Yamada versus Osaka and Dynamite Kanzai and um it it's a fabulous match I, I, I know I, I ranked that match five stars last time I watched it and did think it was in the handful of my favorite matches of all time, her best matches. So you have those two matches, but then, and I know you didn't like this match quite as much as I do, Par, but that Can-Am, uh, that uh, Can-Am Express versus Kikuchi Kobashi match from 525 with the Heat. Um, yeah. Now that match is a match I do probably would either rank between four and three quarters and five stars. Um, I want to rewatch it when I watch the yearbook, but that also is a match where you know, Charles he's kind of went on record and talked about this a little bit at Pro Wrestling Only, but I didn't think people kind of emphasized it. But you know, Charles is someone that's watched all the '90s and has watched a lot of stuff twice. And when he watched the stuff twice, the kind of highly touted matches, me and him were communicating a lot. And so Charles is kind of at this moment of the opinion that that match is what he thinks is the best match of the entire 1990s. What, what the, uh, the Kikuchi Kabashi versus Can-Am Express. He, wow. he has that match number one above six three ninety four any of the other candidates. So that's that's where he's at right now. But, sorry, Charles, but that's a bit mental. <laughs> so I mean, it it, it is possible. It is opinion, possibly the ba- it is it does possibly feature the greatest face in peril section of all time. Um, uh, if it's the one, it is the match I'm thinking of, right? Yes, um, but. I don't know. I, I, I can't go along with that. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting dynamic, but that's, again, I, I mean, I think those three matches... Well, it's not better than this one. It's not better, That match is not better than that's, the war That's why I want to watch, because <laughs> I do know I love that match, too. Um, and then there's also El Samurai versus um, Jushin Liger, that I know I love that match a lot, too. And you can't forget, in 1992, you've also ranked a Lucha match five stars par in El Dandy versus Negro Casas from a July 3rd. Oh, yeah. So I did. That was a really good match. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome match, too. So 92, Very good. 92 has some, and kind of all over the world, you know, all over the map. That's five mm. really different matches that I'll probably will either rank four and three quarters or five stars when I rewatch it with the yearbook. And but this yeah. match is right in the discussion, the war games. Well, well for me of course that like if I was to uh, list them all out that that Lucha one would be towards the bottom just because of my inherent bias. <laughs> but it, it is a really good match. <laughs> so um there we go. Um shall we get on to the uh end of show awards? Sure. <laughs> Uh, the match of the night, I think, is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but who is the MVP? Hmm. I haven't thought about this, which I probably should have. Would it be weird if I didn't pick somebody in the main event? I may not. I think I'm going to pick Brian Pillman. <laughs> okay. Any reason? Um. I, 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 I mean, I thought Zinc was better than we've seen. 
but was still awkward in some points. And I think it really, that match really benefited from Pillman basically throwing himself. I mean, the amount of air he gets on that bump I talked about where he does the face first bump into the floor or into the mat. Um, was really good, but it actually, I'm talking myself out of it. You know who I'm going with, and this is a guy that, you know, we've critiqued him, and I want to give him his credit, and we gave him his credit, but I'm going to give him my MVP is Sting. I, Sting? I thought wow. Sting was really great in that match. Again, I don't think he's great much in this role. I mean, I think there's certain other people for sure. You could give it to Arn, you could give it to Rude, you could give it to Austin, you could give it to Steamboat, you could give it to Wyndham. Um, but but I really loved how Sting was personified in that match. So it, this may not happen much, so I'm going to give it to Sting. But Pillman gets an honorable mention because I really think him throwing himself into the moves and bringing the intensity is what propelled that match to the next gear. Um, yeah, this is really difficult. Um Austin was phenomenal in this match, yes, wasn't he? Yes, he was really good too. I mean, he really, really worked his ass off. And I mean, it's crazy. He may be like the like I can see him being like you think about how good Austin was in this match, and I could see somebody arguing that he was like the sixth or seventh best person in the whole match. Which he, he must have, he must have bled about two pints of blood uh, as well. Um, I'm gonna give it to Rude. Yeah, I just think I just think that. Honestly, watch this match again and just watch him during the entrance. Like as he enters the ring, the level of intensity that he goes to work on—is um, it Wyndham? It must have yes, been Wyndham at that was. point. The level of intensity of his attack on Wyndham is just like a career best moment for a career best year for Rick Rude. There, um, really, just phenomenal stuff, but. You could give it to anyone in that match, apart from uh, Nikita Koloff. Yep. Who I have not lost any love for. <laughs> it was okay. He was alright. He, he didn't... I would he say him and Eaton were probably the two, like, less... Like, least memorable combatants. Yeah. I mean, they came in last, but... So, th- th- one of the things that I was thinking about is that... You know that they, the heel team maintain the advantage, right? Right. Now, if you were trying to... Is that unbalanced do you think or do you think the fact that the the faces get the very last guy fresh is the balancing mechanic or would you flip the coin between every single entrance hmm yeah that's interesting because I mean how could you I mean mean, this is going to get very nerdy really quick but (laughs) it almost feels like like I think I mean because the flip of a coin is a very luck-driven derivative from the onset. So I almost feel like it would be neat if at some point you had singles matches between the combatants, like before the shows, like on the Saturday nights and pros and stuff, and that would decide who would enter first of those pairings. Now, that would kind of take away some of the suspense on who's going to be entering the cage. But that would be kind of interesting because then you could know, like, oh, well, Nikita beat Eaton in their singles match. So Nikita, you know, you could say, like, they get the choice. So if, Mm -hmm. if their person's getting beat up 
and they're looking on the ropes, then they can tell the referee, you know, I want to enter next. So you could have like two guys enter back to back actually at some point, and that would create a different dynamic. Yeah, I mean, the rules as they stand, this is the first time it's ever occurred to me that, yes, okay, those heels get the advantage for the whole time, but it's like the faces always have the number 30 of the Royal Rumble. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the way they portray the match beyond, which again, we've talked about, is kind of a silly narrative, but it does make sense that they're, you know, they have the advantage going into the match beyond. Uh, yeah. So that does kind of equalize things in the end. Okay. Um, so, I, yeah, I've given it to Rude. You gave it to Sting. Yeah. N- now we have the Billy Graham Award for the worst worker, of course. Um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on Super Invader. I don't know. I mean, he was there to give an impressive squash, and he didn't. So. Big Josh was right there, and you didn't go for I him. I did not. So. I mean, that match was <laughs> inoffensive. The super. I mean, to me, the super fader for what they were trying to accomplish failed the most. I mean, at, at its best, Big Josh versus Richard Martin would have just been a pleasant mid card match that surprised people. Work right, guys. They apparently had big plans for Hercules and Super Invader, and he laid in... I mean, Todd Champion's nothing, but, I mean, he didn't look impressive. I mean, what did he do in that squash that was impressive? There was nothing Sid-level at all. Um, Well, my Billy Graham Award winner for the umpteenth time is Jimmy Jam Garvin. Ridiculous. He's such a sloppy work. He, why has he still got a job? He should be sacked. That's fired. Sad. <laughs> I wonder how many times uh, Garvin has been got the Billy Graham Award at this point. How many times I picked Flair's MVP? You've picked Garvin <laughs> as Billy Graham. Christ, he's terrible. Oh, come on. <laughs> um. Okay, so where where are we going next time? Uh, where do we go from here? We go to Clash 19, which is the start of the uh, tag title tournament. So, you you got anything to to plug, Chad? Before we uh we leave, I don't. I mean, I've taken a kind of sabbatical from the podcast. This is the first one I've done since our last one, so I've I've been uh, pretty radio silent. But but I enjoyed. I mean, talking about this show. Um, it was fun. I mean, it's 4 a.m. your time, Parv, and still <laughs> think we kept the energy up, which is nice. I want to. Uh, I want to plug something which has nothing to do with our with our feed, but uh, I am aware that there are people who uh, listen to the show who are not members of uh, the Pro Wrestling Only board, um, and you need if you are a fan of uh, 80s Japanese wrestling. Uh, or a fan of Terry Funk, or a fan of Dory Funk Jr., or of the Funks in general, uh, or of Jumbo Saruta, um, there is a YouTube channel. Uh, if you go to YouTube and type in SKK uh, space DT, there is a YouTube channel that is currently uploading at a phenomenal rate matches that, to the best of our knowledge, have never seen the light of day before. And there is a treasure trove of stuff there already. 
and he's just uploading stuff all the time. Like I've just seen Chad, he's uploaded the Funks versus Joe and Dean. I just, I just looked at that as we told, yeah. as we did our show from 1990. Dory Funk, wow! And I mean, he, uh those cars versus Jumbo and Denner. I mean, there's, there's stuff on there. For example, he's got uh, there's a Harley race Larry Hennig tag, and it's just like, well, that's a legend team. You, like as far as I know very few matches on tape um th- i mean there's all sorts of, there's a there's there's that half an hour billy graham 10 ryu tag against barber and jumbo well i haven't watched it but you know it's just like every single day he's putting stuff up there that um you know kind of like amazing there, there, there's fun- there's the funks versus um hardy race and nick bockwinkle I mean, isn't that a dream match, Chad? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we're, I mean, like this, like Wrestle War '92, the show we just did, like it being as readily available as it is on the network is a is a godsend. But beyond that, right now we have kind of shockingly had a revival of just rare stuff in the past couple of months from this guy. Uh, deciding to upload this treasure trove of stuff, the NWA classic stuff. And then there's also a, a YouTube uploader called uh, a Dainton Cash that has uploaded some great mid-90s uh, CMLL stuff, which had never seen the light of day. And that includes a Negro Casas Lafiera match, which uh, Will talked about in his last, uh, or actually a new show, Digging the Crates with Phil Schneider, which that was a match that... I don't know if, if uh, Jeff Lynch had it or not, but it's a match that nobody had ever talked about before. And you're talking about a match that I watched and legitimate four and three quarter star match of the year candidate, a just superb match. Um, so, so we're seeing some complete hitting gems that are, yeah. are thankfully seeing the light of day. And yeah, I mean, this guy, he's been just in the past week, hundreds of amazing videos. Yeah, and and if you, I mean, if you don't have a lot of time and you just want to check out like one or two things, the uh, the Terry Funk versus Jumbo match from yeah. 1980, I mean, that was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, so. I mean, so that like you've watched their '76 match, right, Parv? Yes, yeah. I haven't reviewed it yet, okay. but I, yeah. Yeah, see, that's a five star match for me. That's one of the few five star 70s matches i actually have um but that one's five stars and uh i mean this match i i I ranked it lower than you you ranked it four and a half i haven't written it on the board but uh i ranked it like four stars but a great match and a great match to have in the canon of that feud um it's a champions carnival match so it, it you know 30 minute trawl and just some excellent work from two professionals yeah the 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 um i wouldn't say any of it's like essential but the sheer amount of blood in the Terry Funk Abdullah the Butcher feud is worth just witnessing, at least. Uh, but don't expect any clean finishes. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so great. Well, see you next time for Where the Big Boys Play. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>